So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzle cast, welcome to the somewhat long-awaited, um, and it's going to be super interesting on many levels, podcast about The Mandalorian, the uh, Disney Plus launch show, and the Star Wars universe, obviously, and just as obviously, uh, I had to have Jedi Geek Girl on. We are five episodes in to this series uh, that most is being liked or loved by America um, for the most part, both fans and non-fans. We are going to talk about this. Uh, Jedi Geek Girl, as I welcome you in to talk about Mandalorian a little bit past the midway break as we get closer and closer to The Rise of Skywalker, uh, which is going to come up in various contexts here. Um, It's great to have you on. I can't wait to hear about this. Um, and uh, I, I, I just want to generally welcome you in, but in the interest of getting this going, um, I think it's important to tell the audience, if they haven't been listening to all the podcasts, uh, that our positions on this show related to it and related to one another have flipped dramatically, and that's going to be uh, a big part of what we what we talk about, and it's really going to be interesting because I know your general feelings, but but we've been saving the specifics. So before we get into this fascinating topic and era in Star Wars, welcome to the Bizzlecast. Thank you so much for having me on, and I'm looking forward to diving into this topic. So, of course, I had you on recently for Jedi Fallen Order, which we both freaking love. That is also going to come up, at least on my end, in this podcast. And it's fitting that we are doing these two so close together. I think you will agree with that. Um, And while our sort of uh, relative comparisons between the two are going to be different because our feelings about the show are quite different. Um, And we're going to start with uh, our expectations of the show uh, leading up to it. And then we'll talk about the show. We'll go back and forth. Um, But just for the listeners that did not catch Jedi Fallen Order, to recap quickly, we really love that game, and as we both said, that was very much our Star Wars. Exactly. It had everything that Star Wars is about, and it was inclusive. It had everything from pretty much every era. It had a diverse cast. It had a great, 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 great story. It had a, well, it had a nice mixture of new and old, and it, it just really nailed Star Wars to me. 
So I like to go back and listen to my podcasts. Uh, usually, the older the better to remind myself of things, especially with favorite guests. I listen to yours and I podcasts. I listen to commentaries I've done with Simi. Um, I really love the four or five podcasts I did with Tim Jarasi uh, from the Saga Continues, who I haven't had on since last year, but we're very much still in touch. And we did an epic. Uh, the last podcast we did was an epic um, commentary of Twilight of the Apprentice one and two. Um, and uh, um, I have a fun story to share with you. And I listened back to our October podcast from last year. Tim Jirasi from The Side Continues, uh, along with Kyle Avery and Paul Herman, all among my favorite people. One of my favorite Star Wars podcasts. They're mostly of my generation, but they're very positive dudes. They like the prequels. They like most Star Wars things. They're very fair and balanced. Um, and they, while they're way more polite and subtle than I am... Uh, they also do not tolerate haters, idiots, fascists, and so forth. And so we're all very much on, on on the same page and tend to like the same things, even though, you know, movies are in different, you know, orders and, and so forth. Um, I was listening back, um, Jaggy Girl, and that was the announcement that The Mandalorian was official, that it was called The Mandalorian. And we didn't know much else other than Pedro Pascal was probably the guy. This was a, almost exactly a little bit over a year ago, October of last last year and uh, we, we were fucking excited off the hook about it because Tim's for exactly my age. We grew up loving Return of the Jedi, you know, the most. That was just the one we watched. And so, you know, just the notion of Favreau and Filoni doing a Mandalorian-related thing after Return of the Jedi, knowing nothing else, it seemed like an absolutely brilliant idea. Um, and so I- I'm going to talk a little bit about my expectations, and I'm going to throw it to you, and then we're going to talk about uh, our feelings of the show. Spoiler alert, Jedi Geek Girl had extremely low expectations for the most part of this show. I had uh, high expectations that became sort of middling uh, as it got closer. Not apathetic, but it, uh, I started being a little bit more skeptical um, about it. Um, and, uh, and I really... Um, Jedi Geek Girl, I know this is a shocker to you. We talk all the time. I do not like this show. I don't like it at all. There's one episode I like. I think it looks bad. I think it's been directed poorly. I don't know what's happening because I love everyone else involved in it in terms of the direction and the producers. I think the acting's been bad. I think the writing's been bad. Um, it mostly feels at this point like a cheap Firefly ripoff. I will get back to that as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 as I t- told Jedi Geek Girl before the show, Show, um, not only am I generally positive about this situation, despite not liking the show, there's things about me not liking the show that actually are positive. I know that sounds contradictory and weird. I will explain more. And there's a lot of other things happening in the world of entertainment that is very much cushioning this blow. Um, but I have a larger philosophical thing today, Geek Girl, uh, uh, about you know just the amount of Star Wars content out there. Um, and uh, just to tease it, that I- I've been saying from the beginning that I want to get to a point where there is A, too much Star Wars for me to consume all of, and B, that I don't even have to like all of the stuff that is out there to consume. I want all that Star Wars, as, as long as people are liking it and it continues, and that's certainly the case here. But, Jenga Girl, I have to mention that something I did not remember, my, my memory was that I've been calling Ahsoka in Episode 9 sort of since the beginning of this year. But in my October 2018 podcast, 
I told Tim my theory, and I mentioned that I had been saying that theory since the previous spring. So apparently, I initially made my Ahsoka and Nine theory in spring of 2018, following Han Solo movie. Uh, so that probably makes me crazier, but as Tim said in the podcast, you are absolutely out of your mind, but I will give you so many props if you're right. And I'm like, I'll take it. Uh, so I am a really, really, really neck deep in my Ahsoka theory. And if you don't mind me sharing, you and I decided to do a fun bet, which inevitably you will win, uh, when Ahsoka is not in it. Um, and, uh, I think we agreed that if and when, probably when I lose and Ahsoka's not in it, you get to pick a extended Hayden Christensen monologue, probably from Attack of the Clones, uh, that I will deliver in, in a much more poorly, overly dramatic uh, way. Um, and do my best sort of caricature of Hayden, who I like more and more over time, as you know. And in the small, slight chance that I am right about Ahsoka in Nine, uh, you get to uh, passionately and dramatically do one of the Jin or so pump up speeches, right? I think that's a good deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So, like I said, I was pumped initially, and then celebration happened, and. I was just so much more excited about... I mean, we already knew about Clone Wars. We got some more information. I I was excited about Jedi Fallen Order. Obviously, The Rise of Skywalker stole everything that was going on. Just the whole sort of Ashley Eckstein is so present. I mean, like, everything else going on in Celebration just ended up being more exciting. As you know, I didn't go to any of the panels, but, you know, I was still watching everything and talking to people and blah, 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 blah. And uh, the fact that the people that, let me put it this way, without naming names, the people that were particularly excited coming out of the Mandalorian panel and thinking it was going to be the best thing ever and are sticking with that theory are people I like but tend to be way super OT people, way more than me. Boba Fett people. Um, God, I hate Boba Fett. Um, maybe we'll get back to that too. Um, but they're Boba Fett OT people. And as you know, John Favreau, I don't know if he meant to do this or what he was thinking, you know, let's slip to say the least about his, how shall we say, lack of understanding about the prequels. Um, during the panel, and Dave Filoni had to save his ass, uh, which is especially funny because he's pre-Vizsla in the Clone Wars, which is like about as prequely as you can get outside of the prequels. So that also confused me. Um, I always thought the idea of Filoni and Favreau side by side was exactly what was needed but you know between not loving the iron man movies not loving the jungle book not caring about the lion king um other than swingers in the 90s i'm not actually the biggest john favreau fan in fact i prefer him as an actor where he's hilarious um in comedies as opposed to a director so that never excited me and honestly, Jackie Girl, I thought Dave Filoni would be experienced enough and talented enough and be around enough people to transition into live action smoothly, easily, no problemo. And his two episodes have been straight up bad, in my opinion. Um, and you know, I talked to Paul, uh, who's one of the big Mando guys online. Even he has to admit some of these episodes are uneven. 
And I said, look, man, I love Dave Filoni. He's one of my faves. Eventually, he's going to get good at this. But he is having major growing pains as a director with live action. Um, and there's there's so many problems with what's going on. And, uh, you know, as I always say with Rogue One, it's, it's my favorite of all these Star Wars movies. I don't know if I can prove that it's the best uh, Star Wars movie, but of all of the movies in terms of film, me being a film guy first, even more than a Star Wars fan, Rogue One, I think, is the best in my favorite film among the movies. I might still have sort of Empire and or Jedi as sort of the best quote-unquote Star Wars movie. That's another discussion. Uh, but I, I cannot understand f- from a filmmaking standpoint what is going on here because, as you know, you, you know, like, for example, my prediction years ago that Elizabeth Olsen was going to be amazing and take over Marvel was based on her acting, not just because I love the Scarlet Witch and she's got cool powers, but because she, I thought she was an amazing actress and everything I saw her in since then, she's an amazing actress, and so I continue to believe that I'm an actor guy, I'm an actress guy, I'm a director guy, that's what I look at. To me, The Mandalorian looks bad, is uneven in terms of dialogue, and if you remove adorable baby Yoda from the equation I almost unwatchable and honestly the amount of baby Yoda gifts to me and I'll stop the, the negative rant here because it's going to get a little bit more positive the amount of baby Yoda gifts I think proves that people do not like this show as much as they think and so they're falling back on baby Yoda because he's so cute and interesting to, falling back on baby Yoda to convince themselves you know that that this is better somehow than it actually is and with the last two episodes especially the last one Jedi Geek Girl I'm going to throw it to you for your opening salvo here even people who have been really high on the show have to admit there are cracks and there are problems I think there are visual problems as I said there are directorial problems I'd never blame the actors Although the kid in the recent one, as I said, is the very poor man's Hayden Christensen. And I just wanted Hayden the whole time because he sounded like Hayden, but was nowhere near as interesting, good looking or charismatic. I just wanted Hayden, even if he was playing a different role. Ming-Na was poorly used. Uh, As I said, the desert scenes look like the crappy Dune miniseries from 2000 on the sci-fi channel. It looks so bad. Um, And I just think Dave Filoni is really struggling. And I'm not sure why John Favreau and the other people involved can't help and I don't think it's a coincidence that Deborah Chow who's done some of the best Jessica Jones episodes did the by far best Mando episode in three it was also the best material and it was the turning point of the series Uh, but they did what I hate in these shows which is make it seem like a serialized show up until three with the glorious rescue uh, (laughs) of baby Yoda with the murdering of all the bad guys to save the baby and have adventures and now it's becoming a series of standalone what I would consider C to C plus Firefly ripoff episodes at best that are not compelling. They're not using Gina enough and some of the other characters we were promised. I don't know what they're building towards or anything. I'm just confused. And my final thing I want to say here, JGG, and thank you for your patience, is... Since 2012, but specifically since Rebels in 2014 and then Force Awakens in 2015, as you know, 
while I love Filoni, my golden god, goddess, I should say, is Kathleen Kennedy. And while, you know, I don't read all the books, you know, and I'm not crazy about all the books. As you know, I love Claudia Gray, E.K. Johnson, and some of the other stuff. I do really like the comics in general that I've read that you got me into. I don't know if you remember our comics podcast where I read like 3,000 pages of Star Wars comics in like a week and a half to to do that podcast. And I still am reading Afro and fucking love it. Interested to see where that goes, Vader, etc. blah, 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 blah. Anyways, there's nothing I've disliked. Even things that like have somewhat perplexed me like Last Jedi or are mixed feelings about or like solo which was super fun and is fun to watch but you know was very predictable and, and you know not particularly deep obviously and, and you know i think even people who like solo in the back of their minds have to admit it was not necessary which doesn't mean we're not glad it was made but it was the least necessary and most predictable of all the movies nevertheless i've enjoyed everything i still like the last jedi i still like solo i obviously love force awakens love rogue one i you know I have Rebels up there with with the original trilogy movie um, movies in Rogue One in terms of how much I love Rebels. Clone Wars coming back, brilliant. Cassian and K two, you know, I wanted a Jyn Erso prequel. I'm getting Cassian and K two is just as good or better. We got Obi Wan, which we all wanted with Ewan. Everything, the decisions, everything we're seeing is great. This is the first time I'm you know uh, um, d- disappointed and not liking something coming out of the Kathleen Kennedy regime. In Lucasfilm, but as I'm going to get to, because I want you to talk for a bit after I just blabbered for 15 minutes, as I'm going to talk to, it's not as bad as it sounds in terms of my experience of Star Wars and, you know, TV and movie entertainment in general, but I needed to get it out there that I think this show is, is extremely subpar, and I watch shows on and off like Homeland and Vikings and even Game of Thrones, some of, uh, all shows of which are flawed and I have problems with, but they're all super professionally done and this feels a little jv to me so there is all my shade throwing on the mandalorian i i I wouldn't say it's a huge flip because again my expectations went down as it got closer i certainly did not have the low expectations that you did so to throw it to you tell me about your low expectations you maintained your low expectations explain to the listeners why you had such low expectations and then why you are now at, to quote you from the pregame, a 7 out of 10 in the show and enjoying it much more than you think or thought and much more than I am. Uh, so, JGG, the floor is yours, darling. Before I dive into my current thought about the show, I want to give some context to our listeners because not every one of our listeners know what my thoughts were leading yes. into the show. I did talk about it when I've been on the show previously, but I haven't really gone into it. I want to give a little bit more complex context. So when I first found out about the show, I was excited because it was going to be live action Star Wars post Return of the Jedi about a character film a culture that I really enjoy and I really love. I love the Mandalorian culture and the Clone Wars and Rebels and that really interests me. For me, the pre-hype and building up to it, it was like the more I found out about the show and the more I saw about the show, it was less interesting and I liked it less and less and less and less. That being said, I am a completionist when it comes to Star Wars and I still want to experience everything. Like, even though I wasn't really excited for the Mandalorian 
around celebration, I still went to the panel. Well, technically the screening of the panel, but I was there. I got the poster. I have the poster up on my wall. Obviously, I'm watching the show. I consume everything about the show. I find out about the show because I am obsessive about Star Wars. But before the show was even launched, it got really, really bad to the point where I don't want to say I was being toxic about it, but my main issue with the show is is I'm not you, I'm not these other demographics, and we, and we talked about this, I believe, last episode, we as fans, we want to feel like we're being appealed to because we all want to get in touch with what we love about a franchise, be it Power Rangers, Wrestling, Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, all these things, we want to feel like we're being spoken to, and I felt like the more I was finding out about, about, about the show, I wasn't being spoken to. I didn't think it was going to be a necessary statement of the quality of the content. For me, it was just being, it was more about, I want to get excited about it because... It, it speaks to me as a fan, and I felt like it was very OT. It was very, I hate using this term because not every fanboy falls into this category, but it was falling, it was appealing more to a toxic a demographic, which I felt like was, wasn't progressing so much forward. I think you should cut the cancer out instead of trying to treat it because the cancer <sighs> is only going to spread. Ooh. Yeah. And if you cater to those people, you're just empowering them. And I see this right now with a little bit of the rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian that they these fans feel like they're being appealed to and it is empowering them. Like the people who say the Mandalorian is the best dollar since Return of the Jedi, I feel like that is not a statement of fact. It's more of a statement of dismissal of everything for the new stuff. Because even if you don't like the new stuff, stuff i guarantee you there's something between 2014 and 1983 that you will like whether it be plagueish which i do not like or kenobi or revenge of the sith the clone wars i'm sure there's something that you like so i feel like it's a very dismissive statement and you see people who are part of the fandom menace embracing the mandalorian especially those first couple of episodes or three episodes and weaponizing it saying this is what we want and 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 I, and I feel like that is not progressing a franchise forward that is supposed to be generational and is supposed to be inclusive hold on i'll pass it to you in a second i, I know I'm, I'm about to pull an early bizzle here but i'm gonna let you keep going go ahead but but anyway, so the more I found out about the show, the more I was kind of becoming that person that I wasn't really. It's like, what about me? You know, I I feel I know that's the OT, and I recognize, and I know the OT is so freaking important. Okay, Without I'm pulling it, a bizzle. My one bizzle. I'm sorry, JGG. I'm pulling my one bizzle because you're about to go into a, a much more ter- new territory as well. But I have to pull the bizzle just in terms of demographics. The reason the Mandalorian is so freaking watched in America and around the world is either that they're OT people only in the sense of they're super casual fans and they've only seen original movies and maybe like some of the prequels like on TV and stuff but let's be honest the Sky Talkers and a lot of Raylos and younger fans are liking this too and I know you're very sensitive to the prequel haters and the lack of representation in the prequels and I totally get it and I totally sympathize but I think it's important to point out that unlike the Last Jedi situation 
where it was like really divided down the middle. The vast majority of love of Mandalorians is crossing all sorts of ages, genders, and fan bases for better for better or worse. I, I just need to point that out. I think using the argument that younger people like the show is kind of weak, just because people are more open when they're younger compared to what they when they are when they are older. Like me, if I was the age of the sky talkers or younger i would be more open and i was more open to things than i am now because as we get older we see this in star wars with the original trilogy fans they're a lot more rigid and i'm in that way i want to see my childhood on the screen so saying that younger people like this show it's it's a weak argument to me because that's not my point I'm sorry, that's not my point. My point is demographically the amount, the sheer number of people watching this show, even uh, it, like only Force Awakens is comparable in the sense of 80 to 90% are casual fans and they're not haters because they don't even know enough or experience enough about Star Wars. So if you want to focus in on the small minority of people who still are haters and idiots and assholes or the re- lack of representation, that's fine. But I, I need to point out as a numbers guy who tracks these things that the vast majority of the people are, are into this because yes it feels like the original trilogy but they're so casual that they they don't even hate the prequels because they probably didn't even see it or they don't think about it i think that's an important point yeah and 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 the Mandalorian is also very safe for that more casual demographic and stuff like that but but anyways i, I totally lost my train of thought here but yeah, so I well, I'm going to push you towards it because you were talking about expectations, and then it, you, you, I guess the reason one of the reasons I interrupted was not to stop your train of thought, but because I didn't want to focus on the haters. I wanted to get back to your personal experience, going talk about the panel, post panel, and then from celebration until now, and then when when things flipped. I want to hear your personal story. Yep, yep that that is where I was going to go next. Cool. But anyways. Going into the show, like I said, I had these little expectations. I was to the point where I wasn't even going to watch it because I felt like that I, I wouldn't get anything from it. And I wasn't rig- originally going to watch it, but there was I'm rumors there now, of something. I'm maybe there that, now. We'll get back to that. There, that. there was rumors of something big happening in season one. And like I said, I'm a completionist and Disney, Li- Disney Plus dropped about it dropped earlier than what we thought and i was up late and you know what i'm just like screw it i'm going to do it because i kind of like want to know what the big thing is before before anybody else is i don't want to get spoiled i want to give it a chance i I said i said before i'm going to watch every episode of the Mandalorian twice just to give it a fair shake just because i feel like if you see a movie once and have an opinion about it, especially one that is so strongly negative. I don't think that is fair. Like a lot of people, and I don't want to draw on this, when they see a movie, especially like one like The Last Jedi, I think you should see it twice. I had to see it twice before I had an opinion, and my opinion was really positive. I, I feel like that is the that is the best that is fair to the medium that you're watching. But anyway, I watched it, and it pretty much was what I was expecting it to be. Uh, but the twist at the end with Baby Yoda really hooked me, and that's basically why I watch the show, and that's what I love about the show. I am also really interested in the Mandalorian culture because I want to see how that ties into Rebels and the Clone Wars. But everything else, 
has really been lacking to me when it comes to what speaks to me in Star Wars. And, and it is very safe. And, and I feel like that is not really engaging me uh, in, a, in a way that I would like. Um, but I don't really, like, I don't dislike it as much as I did previously. But like I said, I am at that seven. I, I see what works and our opinion's a little bit different different. Like your negativity is a little bit more with the writing and the directing and more it's a, it's from where mine is more about it it's the span thing about like it's so O T heavy it's directed towards a more different crowd than I am and I'm not feeling connected in the same way excluding Baby Yoda and and, and I'm not the only one that feels this way there are other people who through Baby Yoda they are invested and connected to the show where if you take Baby Yoda out you lose that and if it wasn't for Baby Yoda I probably wouldn't be watching it in the same sense um okay first of all 7 out of 10 when you put it that way, guys, it, 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 I'm a numbers guy, so I'm going to break down the 7 out of 10. So 7 out of 10 for like a video game review, not amazing. 70% on a test in school, not amazing. However, if you divide it in half, 3.5 out of 5 is actually a pretty good rating. And I'm a big fan of the 5, 1 out of 5 rating. 3.5 out of 5 is a very good rating. I was shocked when you told me that. I know you were enjoying it more than you expected and then I expected you to enjoy it uh, for sure because I have it as a th- 3 out of 10 right now. I was shocked at, that you gave it a 7 out of 10. I know Baby Yoda's great um, and, and you know they're wasting the potential of Baby Yoda being the star in 2 and 3 and just making him a cute side thing now. On top of everything else, waste of Baby Yoda with the force powers and even just like the cute stuff in the cockpit, you know, is like, I mean, the, the part at the end of, of episode four where they're like, we're going to miss you so much. I'm like, this is, Jay Geek Girl, I, I, I believe I've said this to you, and I'm going to say this clearly uh, and directly to you, but especially to the audience. You guys know I have very mixed feelings about the prequels. I quite enjoy The Phantom Menace at this point for the most part. Revenge of the Sith is still my favorite, but it's also very problematic. I can't watch Attack of the Clones for the most part, even though I do love Hayden um, more over the years. But the, the specifically in Attack of the Clones, and then definitely in Revenge of the Sith, as you know, I really dislike and am offended by the, the, the decreased activity, intelligence, and just poor writing in Women in Refrigerator that Lucas does to Natalie Portman, who's absolutely brilliant actress in person. And that's the biggest problem as the prequels go on to me. And one of the reasons Phantom Menace, many reasons Phantom Menace keeps holding up um, so well for me is how much ass-kicking Padme does on all levels. In the Phantom Menace, Jedi Geek Girl, I can't include Attack of the Clones. I can definitively say I like the Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith 
light years more than what I've seen from The Mandalorian so far. I cannot rewatch these episodes. I do not agree. Pers- no, I don't agree. I don't subscribe to the you should rewatch things theory. Now, I know Star Wars is a special property. You know, interestingly, I gave Last Jedi an A when I first saw it, and then it went down to like an A minus slash B plus on repeat viewings, which does not normally happen. And I think it's going to go back up uh, at some point. But the rewatch in that case actually made the, the rating go down a little bit. So it can go different ways. But television in particular, with all of the episodes, there is no. I rewatched three before I saw four because three was so great and, and led what I thought was going to lead into a serialized arc going through the season. Um, and I'm going to talk about another show that I talk about constantly that's been distracting me from Star Wars and is one of the reasons I really could care less about my dislike of The Mandalorian that is also eight episodes but is based on an amazing series of books and is totally serialized from beginning to end. Is basically an eight-episode movie. I thought this was going to be an eight-episode movie. And as I said, by episode three at the end, Deborah Chow's episode with the rescue of Baby Jedi, it was totally set up for a, uh, a you know, an action-packed high drama ride <clears throat> you know i mean even firefly with the standalone quote-unquote standalone episodes they were always building you know the river story the shepherd story you know malin and nara etc etc you know none of them were truly standalone maybe one or two it wasn't serialized in the traditional sense but by the time we got the serenity movie you're like oh my god this was all building towards you know the reavers and and and, uh, uh, and summer glow's powers and so forth if that makes sense i do not see that with this and i really only like serialized television i don't like the mystery of the week the murder of the week the adventure of the week in any format and especially in star wars among many things that that i don't like um sorry go ahead what um well well, what i am really connecting with when it comes to the show is I am not the type of girl that is into a pointless action movie or TV show. Not that there's nothing wrong with that. That just doesn't appeal to me. For me to feel engaged with the story or character, there has to be some sort of depth there. There has to be some sort of emotional basis. And and anything in the show that encapsulates that automatically appeals to me. Like, I like episode four where the character the Mandalorian was able to relax and you saw that relationship develop between the main female lead, I can't Omer or whatever, and you see the father figure of the Mandalorian when he's being sensitive to the child. That really interests me more as a person than the badass Mandalorian from episode one before he encounters baby Yoda. Like I, there's nothing wrong with the those people who like that type of action but that's not me like Boba Fett Boba Fett is that person I just got done reading the Bounty Hunter trilogy the Bounty Hunter War trilogy where Boba Fett is that badass he has no sense of emotion he gets things done that power and kept that doesn't interest me i want to see a flawed character i want to see a character who is sensitive who has a history like i like the past of the mandalorian like i want to dive into his past and clearly clearly he's not this diamond that is cut he, he he's soft and that is what appeals to me as as a as a 
person that that is what I'm connecting with with the Mandalorian and when we dive into the more badass part it automatically loses me because it doesn't engage me as a person I'm not trying to say that's right or wrong if you like that badass thing that's perfectly fine I'm just saying what engages me as a person and I think people they get focused on this thing that it has to appeal to me this it has to be this way when this way doesn't appeal to everybody in general so that is what I am really connecting with with the show and I think episode 3 is the best episode it has everything it has the action it has the character depth it has the cuteness. It has the reference to the the, the Mandalorians from the Clone Wars. Like that scene with the Mandalorians coming out is straight out of the Clone Wars. And, and that is why I like episode 4. I know episode 4 is a little bit slower. It doesn't have quite as much action. It doesn't seem like it moves as quickly. But because it has an emotional basis and sensitivity, I'm automatically appealed to it compared to like episode 5, part of episodes 2 and episode 1. That's it. That's humor. I'm I'm liking a little bit like I like the blue alien in episode one Uh, and like I said I want to know more about the Mandalorian culture but it it really frustrates me because I think you can have both and people are like they they, they want the Mandalorian to be this this badass and to me that's not really interesting and that limits the audience because and that's one of the best parts of the series sorry is the sweetness of the Mandalorian the loyalty to baby Yoda I loved Look, what I do love is how qu- we've talked about this. How quickly in the Firefly connection, I do like is how quickly the pirates, you know, out or bounty hunters out for themselves become good guys who can't help but help helpless people, you know, and have great hearts deep down. Uh, you know, I aim to misbehave, Malcolm Reynolds type thing. Even Jane <laughs> turns good, you know, eventually in Serenity to, to, to help, you know, the universe and the world, but also the little people. I love how sweet and tender it is. I just think it's cheesy and poorly written, acted, and shot. That's my problem is, like, there's nothing in theory that, that that's bad about the series. I just think it's, it's poorly made. And especially coming from Filoni, where while I don't love every Clone Wars and Rebels episode equally, there's almost no Clone Wars or Rebels episode that I can't watch and enjoy at some level and so it's extra glaring to me in this case that I I cannot see myself other than the Deborah Chow episode I cannot see myself rewatching any of these episodes anytime soon unless it picks up hugely the next year episode do you mind if I make one more reference to my podcast with with Tim last year and something related um, which is that part uh, I I don't want to put words in your mouth the reason my expectations started to go down was not because of anything I saw or heard, but because of what I wasn't seeing or hearing. And again, I, I backpat, as you know, with my predictions, but I also fess up to my bad predictions. And I listened back to my Tim podcast in October last year. They announced The Mandalorian. I said that by episode five, there was a five out of five chance or six out of five chance that they were going to Mandalore, that we were going to see Katie Sackhoff on the throne with the Darksaber, and it was going to eventually be very quickly about the Mandalorians, whether we see Tia Surkar or not, I was, wasn't was sure. I felt for sure Katie Sackhoff and the planet of Mandalore and the Mandalorian politics was going to be immediately part of the show, and the fact that that obviously became less and less likely, and when I think of Mandalorian, Mandalore. I think of Satine, Bo-Katan, Sabine, you know, and even Previsla, Maul, Ahsoka.
Ahsoka and everything that we've seen awesome in Mandalore in the literature, but especially in Clone Wars and Rebels, and the fact that this has nothing to do with the things I actually like about Mandalore, and that I was getting the feeling that that was the case before the show. Does that make sense? That there was nothing that sort of um, there was nothing sort of active uh, that was making me uh, uh, upset ahead of time or, or lowered expectations. It was the lack of things that I thought for sure were going to happen that I was going to like about it, meaning anything having to do with Mandalore and Mandalorians that we're not getting. Yeah, t- totally. And and I agree with that. I think it's also important to point out that I don't have that critical eye to the technical aspect of the show like you do, like with the writing and how it's directed and stuff like that. It's just not how I I just I'm not gifted with that perspective. So while it seems like a feeling does more similar than different we're, we're looking at it through different things just because we're different people and that's how we view things and and yeah and i agree i i want to see more i want to see more of the Mandalorian culture it's, it's, my biggest problem is i really love i really really love star wars for better or for worse actually both when it's different when it's unique when it's weird Afra, the prequel trilogy the Last Jedi, heck, even the holiday special and the Ewok movies, just because that is Star Wars, even the original trilogy, Return, Empire, and A New Hope are all part of the same story, but they're so different. And when you cut, when you cookie cutter things that are the same, or put into the same context, it uh, it seems boring to me. Uh, like I'm a huge person. Like I like options. I like diversity among. Like if I I like a buffet, if you will, of content and stuff like that. And when I go to a pizza point, a pizza place, and they only sell pizza, that's boring to me. It has to be a pizza place that sells pasta and salad and these other amount of things. And not that, not that there's nothing wrong with pizza. That's a very Midwest attitude, I think. <laughs> But not, 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 well, it is middle. But anyway, not, not that there's anything wrong with having it strictly, you know, one thing. But for me to engage me, you have to have, like, even the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars is so diverse in the amount of stories it's telling. You have an action brotherhood story, then you have a political thriller in another story, and you have episodes focused on the droids. It just. That is what engages me as a story, and that is one of my biggest issues going into Mandalorian, is it felt like a cookie cutter of the original trilogy. It doesn't feel like and Star Wars to me. I'm just going to say it. It does not, it, uh, it had the surface, it has the sheen and superficial look of Star Wars, but it feels like a crappy Firefly slash crappy Western to me. It does not feel like Star Wars. I'm not the guy who uses the term, it's not my Star Wars. I don't believe in that. I think it's simplistic. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, although I will say positively things like Jedi Fallen Order is my Star Wars or is what I think Star Wars feels like. To me, Jedi Fallen Order is a thousand times both better and more Star Wars than what we've gotten from The Mandalorian. I can't think of anything, including Attack of the Clones, that feels less Star Wars than The Mandalorian, in my opinion. Uh, but but anyway, but, but anyway, what I was going to say is... Uh the things that I have really connected with when it comes to the Mandalorian outside of like the sensitivity and the character depth 
is when the Mandalorian doesn't cookie cut right into the original trilogy mold, such as episode four. I, I thought that was refreshing. I thought that was nice to see. I thought that was different. And I really enjoyed that because it wasn't as cookie cutter as the other four episodes. Episodes 1, 2, 3, and 5 in the sense of its setting. And what you see on screen. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just... Well, what speaks to me is, like, I love the original trilogy. I think it should be included in things and stuff like that. But if you heavily lead into it, it kind of likes, like, how how is it different? How is it progressing things forward? Uh, where I was Jedi Fallen Order, yeah, you had these connections to not just the original trilogy, but the prequel trilogy. But you had the in- injection of new, and you had the injections of things from other things, not just one setting and stuff like that. And that's what I really enjoyed about like seeing the pit droids and having the reference to the high ground. Really, I really did enjoy that because yeah. it was an, a nice. And this sums injection. up the difference between you and I is things like that give major points. Whereas I could care less if I'm not enjoying everything else going on. And this is my dirty secret, JG Curl. I, I said this on my semi podcast. I've said this to you off air. My dirty secret is Star Wars, when it's good, is always my favorite and my top priority. But if there's repeated bad Star Wars that I don't like, I'm not ashamed to say I, I will at least temporarily jump off the bandwagon and I'm not ashamed of it and go to other properties that I'm interested in. And this is not enough to make that happen, especially with the rise of Skywalker, the Clone Wars and the aforementioned other shows <clears throat> that are coming. Uh, by the way, if I were a general manager in football, I would trade the Mandalorian and my first round picks for the next 20 years to get Clone Wars and to trade away the Mandalorian. I mean, I, I would trade the farm to get rid of the show and get the Clone Wars immediately. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I, I totally get that. But Wait, I have to ask you, though. Do you agree with me? I know you don't fully agree with this. You gave it a 7 out of 10, and you like the high ground, you know, some of these references and some of the stuff. But do you agree with me that at least in some ways this is feeling a little asymmetrical or just weird and not like Star Wars? Let me give you another example. So this takes place six years after the original trilogy or whatever, but 30 years after the original trilogy with the new movies, say what you will about the flaws in episode 7 or 8 if you anyone thinks there are flaws in 7 or 8. Um, again, any problems I have in 7 and 8 are film related, not Star Wars related. To me, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi feel almost completely Star Wars, despite any flaws and so for 30 years later with with the new movies you know i know there's connectivity with the original cast but like even forget the original cast you just take kylo and ray and finn and poe feels completely star wars to me i never question it with ryan johnson and jj abrams and six years after return of the jedi with dave filoni john favreau and all these other people it's not feeling like star wars that's a huge problem for me i'm wondering if you agree with that at all I honestly do not know. I I, I haven't really said oh, incongruous. That's the word I was looking for. Incongruous. I don't even know what that means. Uh, it's like uh, it's like when you think you see a square, but you realize it's actually like not uh 90 degree angles and it's like five sided or something. You know what I mean? Like it's off kilter. It's you know it's it's tiptoeing. 
Um, or, or it just has, as I said, the sheen or the superficial covering clothing image, you know, with the Mandalorian armor and the aliens and the stormtroopers and blah, 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 blah. But in spirit, especially after Fallen Order, I can't help but think this does not feel like Star Wars to me. I'm not going to say it's not my Star Wars. And, uh, you know, again, I need to start getting into positive territory here. Uh, let me, so let me give you the first one, which is I am thrilled people like this show. I hope people keep liking this show. I hope they keep making this show. And I am fine if I, I'm going to watch the rest of it no matter what. Uh, but if I still don't like it and I'm not going to watch future seasons, you know what? It doesn't matter. I haven't watched Star Wars Resistance yet. You know what? This show is making me want to watch Star Wars Resistance. Now, Star Wars Resistance I haven't watched just because of time. Again, I don't watch that much television. And I like the idea of having Star Wars, you know, that I don't need to watch immediately that's there. But then I see a trailer for Star Wars Resistance, and I'm like, A, this animation looks amazing, and B, it's in a time period I'm really interested in, and C, this feels like Star Wars. And so it's making me want to do watch things like that, you know? And re play Jedi Fallen Order. This just doesn't feel like Star Wars, but if other people are enjoying it and it feels like Star Wars to them, and I am thrilled that you are 7 out of 10 and you're enjoying it much more. That makes me so happy. Like I said, I want to be in a place where there is so much Star Wars and that it's mostly good to great that I don't have the time to watch everything or even like everything. And so that was my sort of negative that's a positive, which is, I this is proving my point, at least for now, especially if I love Rise of Skywalker Clone Wars and so forth, which I think is assured, um, but we will see. Uh, it, it, it makes me... Uh, I'm so okay with not loving everything in Star Wars. And, and so, the what I consider a very subpar direction, writing, acting, it's and so forth, um, and special effects across the board, that doesn't really bother me. The fact that it's not feeling like Star Wars to me with Dave fucking Filoni is absolutely perplexing, and, and that's the part that's bothering me um but again i'm thrilled other people like it i want to make that very clear people out there enjoy it as i say jedi geek girl love the thing you love and don't let other people tell you what to love and not to love and don't let other people shame you into not loving something or liking something love the thing you love because life is not about just loving and hating things it's about how you love something um and if you, if you love this truly or like it truly and you enjoy it and it feels like star wars to you then god bless you and thank you for supporting lucasfilm so we get more and more star wars content so that is the beginning of the positivity as i throw it back to you so I do feel like it feels like it is a little off. I, I, I can, but I'm not like 100% about it doesn't feel like Star Wars, but I do feel like it is a little bit off. But I want to, like you said, change things into a little bit more positive. Yes. When I say I like diversity in Star Wars, that includes content that I do not like. Yeah. And I think Mandalorian falls into that category. Solo falls into that category. Alphabet Squadron <laughs> falls into that category. Yeah. And... Galaxy Adventures kind of falls into that category only because it was so heavily focused on the original trilogy. I think it's well done, but like I said, I, I want to see my Star Wars and stuff like that. And, and I think that is fine. I think that it's okay. And, and I think that it's needed in Star Wars because you need to have content that appeals to people that yes. are not me. And I want to back you I, up on something really quick. Sorry. Which hold is on, so, hold on. Which is so, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
but, but, but let me finish my train of thought here. And and that is a constant struggle that I think not only I have, but other people have. Like the sequel trilogy isn't for some people and they wrestle with that being okay for them, realizing that Star Wars is not just one thing. It's a multiple amount of things. And I'm, I deal with that with Solo or have to deal with it with Solo. I dealt with that with The Mandalorian. And I'm going to wrap this up so then you can do your thought here is I think I think that the Mandalorian speaks to a crowd of people, a group of people, a wider target audience, and I think that is nice, that is refreshing. It's speaking I think to you. Th- you gave it a seven out of ten. Baby Yoda. Mm. But, 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 okay, but, so but, but, take if you take Baby Yoda out, what's your rating? Probably like a six or five. Still pretty good. I was going to back you up about Solo really quickly. I just didn't want to forget about it because I was thinking this exact thing, which is I like Solo more than you and in general, and I enjoy Solo more than you, but I will say my, my notion of incongruousness or asymmetry or just feeling off, I definitely felt in Solo, and I've had to sort of train myself. As great as the actors are, because there are other actors playing other actors – uh, and they force too much fan service that it's overwhelming, you know. Like let's, you know, my comparison is with you compare the two anthology movies is that Rogue One was almost completely new characters or characters from like the Clone Wars, like Saw Gerrera or whatever, or occasional Vader. But Rogue One feels so fucking Star Wars, right? At least the second half of it, despite all the new characters, Jin Erso and Cassian feel like classic. Star Wars characters. Chirrut and Baze feel like classic Star Wars characters. K2SO, one of the best droids. And, you know, and I, I listened to our talks about, um, I was listening to our, our Rogue One uh, podcast where we talked about your revisitation of it, and we were compa- doing comparisons to Solo. We talked about, you know, we didn't like L3, and we compared L3 to K2, and how that was problematic, and, you know, the fact that Jin, Cassian, and K2 were somehow way more appealing than Lando, Han Solo, and Chewie, who were supposed like the big three or whatever um and it's because of this incongruousness again i like solo more than you i enjoyed the movie i haven't watched it in a long time i don't feel the hankering to watch it i mostly love it for the performances and the actors but that is the close i wanted to back you up which is solo is the closest thing i can think of to something that really tried so hard to feel like star wars that it actually didn't feel like star wars at a lot of points sorry go ahead yeah, and, and, and I think Rogue One does such a good job of being this mix of new and familiar. Like, obviously, it feels like classic Star Wars, but it also feels different, new, and refreshing compared to something like Solo, where they probably didn't quite nail that formula. And I do want to finish my point here about The Mandalorian. I, I think that it's good for Star Wars because that allows Star Wars to do new things and explore different things and have Star Wars that appeals to me. And you need to have things to, like, it's a symbiotic relationship between all the different aspects of Star Wars, like Afra, the sequel trilogy, the Mandalorian, like, these things do not act independently because if you have the success of one it allows Solace to expand beyond what is successful and that is why I think the Mandalorian should be a flagship for Star Wars I think this is something that they need to hook on to for five seasons five years 
10, 10 years just just because just because it is speaking to an audience that keeps them engaged in Star Wars that perhaps they can expand out and just because you make the Mandalorian a flagship of Star Wars does not mean we will not get other stuff that doesn't mean we won't get other shows it doesn't mean we won't expand to other things but it speaks to a audience that I think they need it even if that audience is not me if that makes any sense Okay, um, I'm going to give a bunch of reasons why uh, this is going to sound flippant, uh, and this isn't a you know snobby thing. But I'm going to give a lot of reasons why personally I don't care that I'm not loving this sh- this show. Um, and this is mostly a look into my brain and other things in Star Wars and elsewhere that that I'm excited about. Um, I will say, Jedi Geek Girl. You know, I am on record as saying, while I love the MCU in principle, and I generally love almost every actor in the MCU, I can only name 10 MCU movies that I truly like and want to watch multiple times. As you know, I adore and love Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, but I do not adore and love Captain Marvel as a movie, although I do have it rated much higher than most MCU movies. I loved Guardians 1. I did really not like Guardians 2. I expected Thor Ragnarok to be my favorite MCU movie with Taika Waititi, who's also involved in this situation in The Mandalorian and is causing problems. God damn you, Taika, what are you doing? Thor Ragnarok, the first half, is brilliant with the Revengers and Hulk and Thor and Tessa Thompson, and then it becomes a shitty Lord of the Rings ripoff with Cate Blanchett being terrible and, and you know a bunch of villagers looking haggard and just bad. Uh, I don't know what, what went wrong with Thor Ragnarok. I love all the Avengers movies because I get all the actors and characters I love. The Cap movies because they're team-ups. Black Panther for obvious reasons. Guardians 1. I do like Thor 1. Um, but outside of those movies, I do not love the Ant-Man movies. I, I don't love Thor 2 or Thor 3. I do not love Doctor Strange. Uh, you know, I, I mean... <laughs> but I... But... But... Almost every MCU movie, other than maybe The Dark World and Iron Man 2, feel like MCU movies. And that's the biggest compliment for people who love the MCU Jedi Geek Girl, but also the biggest uh, uh, knock for people who don't like the MCU is how not generic, but samey it feels, right? And to some people, that's a huge selling point, and to some people, it's turning them off. And it's really interesting to see people's reaction to the Black Widow trailer. I I love the Black Widow trailer, but I'm specifically a, a lover of Scarlett Johansson in Black Widow, but I'm very ready to take a break from the MCU on, on the big screen for now uh, until I get something amazing like Scarlet Witch, which we're getting pretty soon, so I guess I can't really say that, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm excited for the Black Widow movie because of Black Widow, but it still feels samey MCU. But it still feels like the MCU, and that was my point. I don't know if I'm making well where I'm saying this doesn't feel like Star Wars. Is that I haven't felt this way about Marvel, even though my the batting average of Star Wars in my mind is way higher than than Marvel movies in terms of stuff I like or love. I can't I can't think of a recent Marvel. 
Marvel movie, even ones I don't like that don't feel like Marvel movies. This, to me, again, feels more like Firefly or another attempt at a cowboy sci-fi western that's just not well executed with costumes and guns and so forth uh, from from Star Wars. Uh, And again, with Filoni, okay, I'm going to start asking you some direct questions. What is going on with Dave Filoni? Why can't Dave Filoni single-handedly make this show great? I'm really uh, unclear about it because you and I both worship him and think he's the bee's knees. Because I think John Favreau, it's John Favreau's project. It's yeah, but the Filoni directed episodes are glaringly bad, in my opinion. Yeah, but John Favreau is the executive producer. He oversees it. He knows the plot. He, he's directing things. So even though Filoni is directing and writing things, it still has to fit into Favreau's vision. And this is my problem with Favreau. I think Favreau doesn't have as much creativity as Filoni does. If you look at the Favreau's projects, like Iron Man, I love Iron Man, but it's very it fits. It's like a interpretation. It doesn't really break new grounds. And I think this is more Jungle Book is probably the only exception, just because it's a Jungle little Book bit was not different. Bad. Yeah, I agree. It's just because it's a little bit different. But look at the Lion King. The lot. There's nothing new and fresh and that stands out about the Lion King. And I think that is what Favreau does. He takes these projects and he copies them and he does a good job, but he doesn't have that creative spark that Filoni has. And it is Favreau's project, even though Filoni is writing and directing these things, it still has to fit into his problem. And I think the, pro- I think the problem is Favreau. I don't problem think is Favreau? Filoni. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I love Tony Stark and I love Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Here are the movies I love Tony Stark in. Avengers 1, Avengers 2, Civil War, Avengers 3, Avengers 4. The movies I don't like Tony Stark in are Iron Man 1 and 2 and Iron Man 3. Iron Man 1 and 2, of course, being directed. I mean, he's okay in Iron Man 1. I guess it's a classic. I don't think it's that great or holds up well after the first couple scenes, honestly. It's a a blatant ripoff of Batman Begins and other origin stories, as Favreau's admitted. Iron Man 2 was a disaster. They almost ruined Scarlett Johansson, who's now a fan favorite and going to make a billion dollars on a solo movie next year. They almost ruined Scarlett Johansson in Iron Man to total disaster only thor dark world is worse i would argue iron man 2 is is worse than dark world because at least with dark world you get some natalie portman funniness and then you know thor and loki joking and and having adventures you know cosmic adventures or whatever i think iron man 2 is the worst of all the movies and that was a favreau movie okay and so what i'm saying is who is writing best for robert honey jr I just named the five. That would be Joss Whedon in Avengers 1 and 2, and that would be the, the Russos written by McFeely and Marcus in Civil War, which I know you like a lot, and Avengers 3 and 4, which I know you like, also written by Marcus and McFeely and directed by the Russos. So the best Robert Downey Jr. in all the movies is Whedon, Marcus, and McFeely in the Russos, and not John Favreau, who supposedly... The, the, you know, the guy, and by the way, one of the main reasons they hired Favreau was the jetpacks with the Mandalorians, which was glorious in the third episode, and now we don't get them anymore! What's going on? Ugh. 
I'm just so right. mad. The third episode was like, oh, this is it. I saw the Deborah Chow episode with the Mandalorians. You know, this is our way, whatever. Blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. We're going to get Bo-Katan. We're going to get Mandalorians. And then nothing. Nothing. I, I could care less. Why is he even a Mandalorian? Who cares about the armor? Like, he literally could be anything. They're using the word Mandalorian. Honestly, Jake, the more I think about this, I'm insulted by it. When we get characters like Bo-Katan, Satine, and Sabine, who are so deep and interesting and developed over the years, it's insulting that they're using the word Mandalorian because it sounds cool and the armor looks cool. We know it's not about the armor. Bo-Katan and Sabine spend most of their time not in the helmet in the armor. It's it's insulting, honestly. I, I, I agree with you more than I disagree with you and after watching episode 3, I was about to say, you know what, I, I, I was wrong about this show because I went into the show thinking it was just going to be like a Boba Fett-like thing about bounty hunting and not so much exploring the Mandalorian culture, which you talked about that you were expecting about the show and wanting from the show. And I was like, you know what, I'm wrong because they're touching upon that, they're explaining that, and that's one of the thing, things that really grabbed me about episode one is you go down into the cavern and there's a bunch of Mandalorians there. I'm like, oh, so we're, we're going to get more of the Mandalorian culture. That to me is interesting. That to me is engaging. That to me touches upon the stories told in the larger saga, such as Rebels and the Clone Wars, and an important part of the Clone Wars. But if you remove that, which these last couple of episodes have negated, which I give them some breathing room, I think we will see the Mandalorians, the other Mandalorians in the later season. That to me, it it it's like if you remove that, it's like you it, it doesn't have to be a quote unquote guy in a Mandalorian armor or a Mandalorian. It could be any type of bounty hunter. It could be a new species. It's like what makes a character so engaging about it if it's just a stupid set of armor that that's boring and stuff like that. And I, I was hoping that they would continue to expand upon the Mandalorian culture and its history, but they haven't yet, but I'm sure they will. But if they don't, it's like, why is he a Mandalorian in the first place if you're not going to explore that? The episode with the best action, the best drama, the best character stuff, the big jetpack fight, the Mandalorian connection, all of that was directed by a Jessica Jones director. Jessica Jones, season one, my favorite single season of television of all time, was, you know, specifically campy, low budget. That was the whole point of it. You know, she's an investigator, and she only uses her powers to protect herself, her friends, and, like, break into buildings and jump into buildings and stuff, right? You... You, you you know that Jessica Jones season one is also one of my favorites. I am too hesitant to say it's my favorite season of television only because, only because I have watched so, so, so much television that for me to really sit down and think about everything that I watched to determine this is the best season of television to me, it, I need to sit on it just because it wouldn't be a fair shake to everything else. But I absolutely love season one of Jessica Jones. It's one of my favorite things in the... In the on television and the mm. MCU, so uh, it, uh, look if if we count Serenity the movie as part of Firefly one season, that would probably be the tops. But you know, I wasn't crazy about JJ two and three. I liked some of it. But, you know, they could have stopped after one season is sort of my point why I say J.J. won. It was a self-contained secondary origin story about her battling back against a horrible mind control rapist in Kilgrave. And, by the way, by the way, 
Jedi Geek Girl, what do I always talk about? Marvel refuses to kill people, so there's no stakes. There's these giant apocalypses, but nobody but aliens and robots die. Okay, Tony and Natasha die. It was sad. But for the most part, all these movies and all these years, good guys don't die. Very few bad guys die if they're not aliens or robots. Star Wars is constantly killing good guys and bad guys. You have to set the stakes. And what was Jessica Jones Season 1 ultimately about? Other than her journey, you know, emotional journey, was really what it was about. But from a philosophical standpoint... It was about something that is the opposite of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is Mm -hmm. she spent the whole season trying not to kill the worst person and most dangerous person in the world. Kilgrave literally, if you wanted to, could be more powerful than Trump and Putin combined, take over the world, rape all the women he wants, take over all the countries he wants. He, the, The fact that he was just one Jessica Jones was the only thing keeping him from world domination, essentially, right? With his power, she spends the whole season trying not to kill him, and in the end, she has to murder him, because he's so dangerous, and she tries to capture him, tries to imprison him, she tries everything, she even tries to reason with him, you know, tries everything not to kill this horrible guy who raped and tortured and tormented and mind-controlled her in, in invasive ways, to say the least, and she has to kill him in the end, and then she feels horrible about it, because she's Jessica Jones, and she puts the whole world on her shoulders, and she blames herself for everything, which she shouldn't. That's why it's such a brilliant and fascinating character study, because that's so human, right? That's what humans do all the time, is we blame ourselves for things that are out of our control, are not really our fault, but Jessica Jones puts everything on her shoulders, and that's why she's my favorite superhero, and Marvel has never done anything that bold, or complicated, or interesting, or adult. In my opinion in any media again but star wars does do this stuff uh, you know i, I mean not necessarily the, the rape uh, it depends how you feel about kylo ren i don't want to go there but it, it, the mind control i should say but it, it, you know it, it, star wars at least deals with violence in, 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 and the stakes of good i mean rogue one i mean let's be honest let's be honest Marvel has never approached anything like Rogue One or even The Last Jedi. And I don't know why. Um, and The Mandalorian is starting to feel marvel to me in this way that I don't like. But Deborah Chow, back to the Jessica Jones connection, I know it seems weird, but to me, knowing Deborah Chow directed that episode, even though on the surface it's so opposed or just different than a Jessica Jones episode, when you combine... The fact that it's extremely dark, but has also a subtle dark sense of humor, and it's violent, and it's high stakes, and it's tense, and it's unpredictable, it totally made sense that that was one of the great Jessica Jones directors that directed it. And if they had better scripts, they should hand it over to Deborah Chow and the other JJ Season 1 directors and just let them do it. Because that was so clearly in a great episode of television. Um, but I just wanted to make the point, uh, you know, that I, you will understand this loving JJ1 is that that episode actually felt more like a JJ episode than you might think on the surface. But you would only know that if you know Chow and, you know, in general, JJ1 uh, and how complicated what was going on was if that made any sense sorry no all good and and you know and, and it only makes me even more excited for the obi-wan kenobi series because oh, yeah. it's going to be completely directed by her and one of the oh, things great. i like about episodes three and four is the way that 
they were shot and you saw the emotional resonance between the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda that you don't get from the other three episodes because I, I don't want to say it's because of it. I'm not going to. I don't want to say it's because of a, 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 a gender thing, but both of those episodes were directed by women. And it seems like the, the relationship with the Baby Yoda and the the Mandalorian was a lot more like the Mandalorian giving the ball to Yoda at the end. The shot in episode three from Yoda's point of view, the opening of episode four with the Mandalorian picking up Yoda and putting it in his hat and calling him a little womp rat, which you don't really get in season five. It, you, you don't get that connectivity, that sensitivity. But that's one of the things I really enjoy. But anyways, what I was going to say is, is I totally forgot what I was going to say. Is, we love Jessica Jones and we can't wait for more Deborah Chow. That's the important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and she has another episode. She, she's doing episode seven. And Obi-Wan is the perfect contrast right this is a show that is bit off way more than it can chew based on the budget and the vision of the show it's trying to do way too much and isn't doing anything particularly great whereas the character study with obi-wan and by the way jenna geek girl my main argument against myself about ahsoka in nine is that the clear place to introduce live action ahsoka is obviously the obi-wan because between three and four with obi-wan on tatooine who is the only person who can hang with Obi-Wan from a personal and philosophical and spiritual standpoint, who knows that he's there and can have a character-based study between two people who have experienced a lot together without leaving Tatooine that's still fascinating, even without a lot of action and space travel, is clearly Ahsoka Tano. And that's why I tried to write that book, and I stopped writing it because I was smelling very strongly. I knew Ewan was lying, and I thought they would do that story with, with Ahsoka. So my biggest argument actually of and i think they need more time to do the practical and cgi cast the right ahsoka etc blah 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 blah. by the time obi-wan happens they need someone across from obi-wan and and ahsoka is the one to to do it and deborah chow directing ahsoka and and obi-wan it would be unbelievable but even if it's just obi-wan and someone else you know with, with her aesthetic again what made Jessica Jones great was not the fighting, you know, it was the, honestly, it was two things. It was Jessica Jones in her own world, narrating her life to herself the way like Barbara Gordon does and so forth, and just living and suffering and hating herself and experiencing life and trying to find happiness and her relationship with Kilgrave. Hence my Ahsoka theory or someone to be across from Obi-Wan. You need that other person. It's like Life is Strange or The Last of Us, you know, video game. You need the two people, the two characters to go through a journey together. And Deborah Chow's experience with Jessica Jones is absolutely perfect for that. You know Ewan had at least a yes, no, or preference on it. I'm sure he took... To, he heard Deborah Chow, knew Jessica Jones, and was immediately like, yep, 
let's let's do this this is yep like right like in terms of television it doesn't get much better than jessica jones uh and so i'm thrilled that ewan was cool with it i know he's a laid-back guy and doesn't normally get involved in the production but you definitely was consulted you know what i mean and and so that that makes me extra happy as well and again look how excited i am talking about clone wars which is months away and obi-wan which is potentially years away i'm already more excited just talking about these shows than the Mandalorian and so I'm feeling again actually back to the positivity I'm it let assuming Clone Wars Cassian and Obi-Wan are the next big three properties other than you know Mando season two I feel extremely extremely confident that I'm going to like those shows and they will feel like Star Wars and they all have characters I know and love we got Ahsoka and, and Anakin and the clones and Clone Wars we got Cassian and K2 who I fucking love we got Obi-Wan who I love and I know we talk about wanting different times and places and blah, 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 blah. But you have to admit, those three properties are characters that we specifically know and love a lot from past properties. Whereas the, Pedro Pascal is doing nothing for me. And he is acting his face off with what he has. I thought the love story thing was actually very tender. And the best thing about episode four was that woman's attraction to him and trying to get him to take the mask off and stuff. I will disagree about four, though. I think uh, Deborah Chow, in terms of the women, and this is not to cachet, this is just someone who studies directors in, in, in film, I thought Deborah Chow ran circles around Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, no, I... Directed season four. And, and it, but that's not fair, because Bryce is, is relatively new, despite her dad, and Deborah Chow is already a veteran in, in doing awesome television. So it, it's not fair, and the material was better. But the costumes, I mean, the costumes... Four. I mean, it was it was straight out of a Firefly episode, but it was it was lame and it looked lame, you know. But it's based on the Magnificent Seven and like old Western tropes of like, or even the Three Amigos, you know, where you train the villagers to fight the bandits off. I mean, it was so cliched. Uh, Filoni has been uh, so oh this is what I wanted to ask you so we were thinking at least hoping that Filoni was at least 50% maybe 40-45% in charge what you are saying and what seems to be the case is that he is not 40% in charge and Favreau is much more in charge with what's going on even with Filoni directing the episodes I, I want to disagree with one thing, which is the director still has to take the blame for some things because Deborah Chow is also taking orders even more than Filoni, and she did a fucking awesome episode under Favreau. So if she can do an awesome episode with less power, I don't know why Filoni with more power and also Jedi Geek Girl. I know Favreau is is a Marvel you know uh, stud and, and superstar in, in, for, from Feige, but Kathleen Kennedy's boy is Dave Filoni. And so I, I can't understand if you're right in that Favreau has way more control and Filoni has way less control than we thought. It makes no sense based on the way Kathleen runs things. So I'm continuing to be perplexed by this entire situation. Okay, so I need to rewind a little bit yes, because I agree with you 100%. Obviously, the, when she directed episode three, she's a lot better directed and I'm, I'm i can't i'm so flushed i can't even think of names right now but i i totally agree with you that d- the director of episode three is way better than Deborah episode Chow. four. Uh, Deborah Bryce Chow. Dallas Howard. 
Yes, Dabra is better than Bryce. I don't debate that. That, 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 that. That's not the point I was trying to say. What really connected with me, I was just pointing out the things that really connected to me in, in episode four and what I really appreciated from that point of view. But anyway, we know that Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to be a character-based study and Debra has shown that in season three, uh, not season three, sorry, in, in episode three, of the Mandalorian, and it makes me really excited because that is what we 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 want. I think that makes a lot of sense because obviously Obi Wan in that time period is going to be a a, a a character study, and I agree with you as well that I'm looking forward to these other three projects and. It's going to be amazing. Like Obi Wan Kenobi is not going to be as action based, obviously, as the Mandalorian and Kazian, because obviously you have the context of the story and the character involved in it. And I and I'm really looking forward to that because those types of stories really intrigue me more than a action based story such as the Mandalorian and stuff like that. And I think Deborah is is this amazing director and. I think she did such a great job, and yeah, she obviously like when I rank them, three is in a, almost a different category than four. It's just what speaks to me. It's almost as a, a standalone person. movie. You can almost watch it as like a standalone mini movie. That's how good it is. Yeah, and 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 I think I I I come from the perspective that I see Mandalorian season one as not necessarily. I see it as training people in, in Star Wars. Because obviously they are training Filoni regardless of where he takes his career after this. I see it as is it bringing directors on board that are probably going to do other things. And I think if she keeps it up, I think Deborah could be, probably be the first woman Star Wars or main theatrical release film. Because I don't see... <laughs> I don't see Kenobi being a, a failure. I don't see it being as mixed, at least to me, as the Mandalorian. And we know that she's really good because of her work on Jessica Jones season one. It makes me really excited because I absolutely love episode three of the Mandalorian. And, and I know that I'm probably going to, well, I know I am going to love that. And it just really makes me exciting because these are, this is one of the things that fans have been camera, uh, climbing for it for a long time, and, and I'm really looking forward to that, and I, and I hope it, 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 just, it just really makes me excited. So, let us also be clear that the Clone Wars, which will be a thousand percent in charge by Dave Filoni, because, let's be honest, Lucas may or may not have come up with the rough idea of Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano is the baby of Dave Filoni. He literally draws Ahsoka riding wolves in his free time, right? I mean, I'm not going to say Ahsoka is his greatest creation, but there's no doubt that Clone Wars and Rebels would never have reached the heights of greatness without Ahsoka, the Ahsoka-Anakin relationship in particular, but especially Ahsoka. Again, my theory about Ahsoka in 9, or at least in Cassian or or, um, uh, Obi-Wan, is that I love Ray, as you know. I adore Daisy Ridley, and you know I defend Rose and stuff. But clearly, the most loved existing female, you know, character in Star Wars is is Ahsoka Tano. I mean, even the old school fans who like to hate on everything generally love Ahsoka Tano, and so. Again, if you're Kathleen Kennedy and you're thinking about perception, money, but specifically fan perception, 
Ahsoka, it, you would want to get her in there in some way as, as quick as possible because she is so universally loved. That's Filoni's baby. Um, I've also said Sabine is Filoni's baby, by the way. And this is the other thing is, you know, when you see uh, the panels, I know you've watched them from the past years. You know, he loves to make fun of and tease, but with great love, uh, Ashley Eckstein does Filoni. But he also does with Tia Sarkar. And when you see the development of Sabine in season three of Rebels, and the fact that she is, the more I watch season four of Rebels, the more Tia as Sabine is, is the lead. And Ezra even openly talks about, you know, giving her the lead. And Ezra's thrilled that Sabine is finally taking a leadership role. And he does everything that she says. And everyone else does everything that Sabine says. And they make Sabine the leader. He loves making fun of Tia in the loving way that he makes to make fun and hide things from Ashley Eckstein. Those are his two favorites. And and that's what's also making me sad is no Tia in the Dave Filoni Mandalorian property on paper makes zero sense to me uh, whatsoever. Uh, but he will be in control of Clone Wars. And my other point was I know this isn't a show you watch. I don't watch it either. But the uh, showrunner of Cassian and K2 is the showrunner of The Americans, which is a spy thriller that takes place during the Cold War that ran from like 2010 to 2017 and won like a bazillion Golden Globes and Emmys. And it's considered the greatest modern spy thriller out there. And they immediately wanted these guys to do it. And oh, by the way, it makes sense to get award-winning spy thriller showrunner for Cassian and K2 pre-Rogue One, right? I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. So, and, and then, of course, Deborah out with Obi-Wan. So not only do we have characters in worlds that we love and know about in those three series, but we have showrunners and directors who are award-winning and fit perfectly. <clears throat> I mean, how great would it be if Obi-Wan is actually the just torture the tormented, self-torturing uh, Jessica Jones character in in the Obi-Wan series who's tormented and Ahsoka or whoever is like Trish or something is the best friend who's like trying to pick him up, right? That would be amazing. I think that's what they're going to go for. Is, and that was what my story was about, was that Ahsoka was coming to Tatooine, theoretically, to go on like a, a World Between Worlds mission with Obi-Wan, but the twist in the book was that she actually was just trying to rejuvenate Obi-Wan, get his head straight, and, and you know, get him positive and focused again, when, when he was very depressed and, and unfocused. And that was Ahsoka's plan the whole time. Um, so I hope they do something like that, and it'd be great if Je the Jessica Jones character is, you know, uh, the, the, the desert dwelling, kind of going crazy, like Obi-Wan character, so perfect with Deborah Chow. So all of that makes sense, and I'm wondering with The Mandalorian if they were like, this is the launch show, we've got to be big, it's got to be everything, Every you know what I mean? Like, the, the whole kitchen sink argument, like, just let's throw everything at this thing, it's going to be big, it's going to be the launch show, and because of the armor and the time period, as you said, you know, lots of OT and casual fans are going to be into it. That's the only way I can explain this, because this is artistically the first and only bad artistic uh, creative decision that the Kathleen Kennedy regime has made so far. I think the show had to be safe and I think it that's what it is. So does you safe know? in Star Wars now mean mediocre to worse? Well, I, like I would consider The Force Awakens safe too. That I I don't look at safe as being bad. I just see it as not being 
No way. Kylo Ren and Rey was not safe. Kylo Ren killing Han Solo was not safe. By the way, my dad, Papa uh, B. It, 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 it's part of the hero story that the, the, the mentor always I, died. I understand that. I'm but, talking about the specifics of the relationships and the actions. It was not safe to kill Han Solo. Kylo Ren in general in the casting of Adam Driver was not safe. The mind control of Rey could it, have really it, it, gone off the uh, off the rails. Then. Then, then, see, you had to have a mentor in the first. If, if they were going to kill the mentor, who would you have the mentor in the first film? The, 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 the killing no, of Han Solo. Same thing. I'm talking about. I'm just talking about filmmaking. I'm saying from a oh. filmmaking perspective, JJ did just play something safe in terms of like lore and having ships that look the same in the original cast and blah blah blah. In terms of filmmaking, though, he did take some huge chance. I mean, the Han Solo death could have backfired and immediately alienated the entire fan base, but because it was one of the best scenes in all of Star Wars ever between two of the best actors ever I was going to say my dad sees all the movies he sees all the Adam Driver movies he thinks Adam Driver is going to be remembered as Marlon Brando 30 years from now that's how good he thinks Adam Driver is as an actor and and we can obviously I agree seeing way fewer of his movies but just I don't think anyone could, I mean like Christian Bale's on the top of my list of actors I don't think Christian Bale could play Kylo Ren I honestly don't know who else could play Kylo Ren than Adam Driver that scene could have backfired so horribly bad you know the whole like I, we don't want to see the solo movie because it's not Harrison Ford so we're just going to protest and not see like it that could have been a thousand times worse with the killing of Han Solo in, in that particular way the mind control of Rey, the fact they spend three minutes just staring at each other with force powers going back. I mean, there's so many things that could have gone wrong or, or just been perceived wrong with The Force Awakens. Generally loved and liked by everyone. Um, so what I'm saying, I don't think it was safe in, in the way you're saying, but I could be misinterpreting you and I could I think, be disagreeing with you. I think we define the words two different ways. Yeah, I'm talking about filmmaking. I think the filmmaking, forget Star Wars, the filmmaking of The Mandalorian is safe in sort of boring way. Um, and, and I'm saying the filmmaking of J.J. Abrams, he does tape, take leaps of faith. I mean, again, the Star Trek reboot also could have been a huge failure, but was loved by both Star Trek and non-Star Trek fans. Made like $800 million, which was more than all the previous... So all the previous Star Trek movies combined made less than the two Star Trek reboot movies with J.J. Abrams. Uh, and some things people liked, some people didn't, but he did take chances, like having Spock and Ahura have a sexual relationship. I mean, so much stuff could go wrong. Joss Whedon does this all the time. This is my Joss Whedon theory. Does Joss Whedon hit all the time? No. But both Avengers and Ultron hit 90 to 95% of the time, and it's great, and so I can live with the 5 or 10% that's sloppy or weird. And this is the opposite of that in The Mandalorian. They're not even aiming, you know, for 75% of awesomeness and 25% of weirdness. It's, it's, I'm agreeing with you that, that it's safe. I'm just wondering if, if our definition of why it's safe and why we don't like that it's safe might be slightly different, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think that, that, I think that yeah. is what it is. I think we both agree that it's safe, but our context of what safe is and how we define it is different. But hey, that's basically our relationship, is it not? It's like we come to the same conclusion, but how we got there, the, got there is a little bit different. It's like, like how we like or dislike it, the middle-long. And it, it's just our different perspectives and different lens and stuff like that. I, I'm just looking forward to 
I guess, the last Jedi of the TV shows. If that makes any sense. And when I'm talking, when, when I mean that, I'm talking about it being different and unique and taking a, a chance on something that is different and, and, and fresh and stuff like that. And I'm really looking forward to Kat. I'm like, I'm looking forward to Kathy. I'm looking forward to Kathy. I'm looking forward to Kenobi. I'm looking forward to Clone Wars. But I'm also looking forward to like what it's after the, the, the shows just to see how it is different and unique. Yes, and but let's at least like, get three shows that we know we're excited about first. Exactly. And and there the is rumors of Afra potentially making that move. And oh, it's going to gonna me, happen. For sure. And, and, and to me, that is the risk-taking I, I would like to see because you, you have this character that was created in the comic that is extremely popular, but she's also... There's no character like her. Take her gender out of the equation. Take her sexual orientation out of it. Just who she is as a person, how reckless she is, and her career choice, and how you can use her to explore the lore and history of Star Wars, which you really cannot with any other organization or character, just fascinates me. And that is what I'm. That is what I am excited most because yes, I love the Clone Wars, I love Kenobi, I love Cassian, but these are things that we already know, and it doesn't diminish anything. But after live action, is such a unknown thing. Okay, question, question. I would love to see it. Okay, I think the casting of Afra is obvious. Um, I know exactly who they should cast. It's someone in the Disney family who's done Disney stuff and is going to is also doing Disney stuff. I'm curious who your casting is and I'll tell you who mine is. I I this is a blind spot for me. I'm not good at this. That what, what I have seen people um I've seen people talk about Chloe, I think Bennett, I think yes. Jenny. Chloe Bennett would be great. Jessica Henwick would be great even though she's just Pava, but that's not a major character. The problem with Jess Henwick is she's going to be the lead of the Matrix 4 and and now going to be a giant superstar as I predicted years ago and I love her and she's beautiful and wonderful. She's a little too sweet though uh to be Afra. Chloe Bennett is a little dangerous living on the edge would be a better choice. That's not my choice though. Yeah, this is a blind spot to me. I don't know. I, I can definitely see Chloe Bennett fulfilling the role just because she's already in a Disney family. She's well known. I think she's a pretty good actress. But like I said, this is a this is a this is a blind spot to me. Do you so, want to know who mine is? Go ahead, but I'm probably not going to know who they are. No, you won't. She was in The Defenders. And she's now filming, a, a, like, a, she, uh, she's playing a, a princess oh, yeah. or a dark queen. I already know. I already know. Elodie Young. I, yeah, I don't Elodie know Young, name, who played Electra, is. Is, who's yep. Cambodian, is the clear choice. If you've, I'm, look, maybe there's a split about Electra, but to me, Daredevil season two, after JJ1, is clearly the best se- season of, of Netflix, uh, uh, Defenders, and if you want to go straight comic book stuff, when you had the Punisher and you had Elektra and the relationship that was so hot and sexy but dangerous between Elodie Young and, and Matt Murdock, uh, Elektra and Matt Murdock, is amazing. And the way she went between being sweet and then seductive and then evil and then sweet and then seductive and then evil, and, but she ended up wanting to do the right thing and got killed because of it and then reborn. I mean... She is the perfect 
Afra. She's in the family. Most people love... Uh, uh, I mean, let's put it this way. People I know who are hardcore Marvel fans generally really like Elodie Young or love Elodie Young as Elektra. Uh, I think... The, the big mistake is not doing an Electra prequel series with Matt Murdock where we see their initial relationship and fighting together and so forth. That, that's the sad thing to me. But she is the lead in a, um, like I think like a dark Disney fairy tale uh, the, the movie that they're filming. They haven't really named uh, yet. Um, and so she's now in the family in multiple properties. And back, you know, in the Disney fold, she is... She can fight her fucking ass off. She is clearly Asian, but she is also, you know, very unique looking like Afra is, you know what I mean? Um, and she and is so ambiguous in terms of her morality. And I think a spectacular actress. I mean, I feel the way about Elodie Young. I did it about Elizabeth Olsen. If anything, Elodie Young, being a bit older and more experienced, is further along, you know, obviously than Elizabeth Olsen was when I saw her in Age of Ultron. When I saw Elodie Young in season two of Daredevil, I'm like, okay, this this lady is going places. She's born my year. You know, she's not super young. She's absolutely gorgeous. But like Afra, it's not about that, you know. It's and it, it, it's about you know the the inner struggle, um, and I think she could totally channel that. Um, and so for me, the obvious pick is Elodie Young, but I would be happy with Chloe Benner, Jessica Henwick for sure. Uh, I, I tend to have a thing. Bizzlecast listeners know this, as do my friends. I tend to have a thing for 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 Asian women, half Asian women, uh, especially uh, charismatic actresses. And so any of these women, I would be happy with. I think Chloe Bennett would be a great choice because she is a enigma in real life uh, who is somewhat disturbed, but she's very self-aware and very funny, uh, but she is somewhat young and reckless. And so Elodi is actually like has a kid and, you know, does yoga and is a vegetarian and stuff and puts on the act. I think Chloe Bennett is sort of the closest to Afro in her actual personality based on her tweeting and, you know, and, and so forth. So I think both of those would be great choices. Yeah, I think she makes it a lot of sense. I think she would be good in the role. But to me, when I look at Dr. Afra, obviously I read all her stories. I read her comics. I would love to see, and there's room for this in the canon because it hasn't been explored in the comics, is her story before the comics. And specifically her story with Sana. Santa Stiles, also known as the quote-unquote wife of Han Solo. Obviously, they weren't actually married, but that is how she was introduced in the comic series. They have a relationship, they have history, and clearly, Afra just doesn't pop up out of nowhere. There's history there, and I think that would be so wonderful and fun to explore because you have Afra. But you also have Santa, Santa Stiles, which is another character that has been introduced in the comics that I really enjoy. And I think you can tell a good story there while keeping true to the Afresh character. Can I give another just, casting choice that is a transition? Uh, uh, that's just, a- just, yeah, just because right now her comic is still going and it just announced another comic series with her that is replacing her current one post Empire Strikes Back. I think it would be difficult logistically for them to tell 
her story on screen while her comic series is running, especially if her story on screen is after the comic series. I mean, they could do it, but to me, that is what I would like. That's just me. But go ahead. Okay. So, there's a couple of reasons why I'm completely nonplussed and not at all upset or really caring about whether I like, love, or don't like The Mandalorian. And as I told you... I'm happy to jump to other properties. My preference is to jump to other Star Wars properties. And The Rise of Skywalker is the number one reason why I could care less of whether I love or like or don't like The Mandalorian, obviously. But the number two reason that's really number 1.1, I think you know what it is. Uh, go ahead. The Witcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because The Witcher is a series I know is going to be amazing on Netflix and specifically is a fantasy series that, in my mind, as someone who's read probably a hundred fantasy books since I was a kid, so let's say the last 32 years of my life, it's J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, it's J.K. Rowling uh, with Harry Potter, and it's Andrei Sapkowski with The Witcher. Those are by. And it's not George Martin with Game of Thrones, which is not well written. Sorry, Game of Thrones fans. What was good about Game of Thrones was not the books, which are not great. The Witcher books are spectacular. The games are great too, but the Witcher books are spectacular, and the casting is amazing. And the half Indian, half uh, Indian, half English woman Anya Chalotra, who they are already raving about. Even Henry Cavill, who's playing the Witcher, is admitting that he might get upstaged by his, uh, you know, love, true love, the crazy, brilliant, uh, unbelievably powerful, wonderful, complicated sorceress Yennefer Vengerberg, uh, who's the co- the co lead and the female lead of it, Anya Chalotra, who's only twenty three, who's gorgeous but can do so many different looks is half Indian, half English, would be an absolutely brilliant casting, especially if everything I'm hearing from inside the set at The Witcher is true, and that she's going to steal the show. Of all the great actors they have, by the way, by the way, you know who's one of the main five or six uh, um, uh, characters in The Witcher? No. Theron, a.k.a. Lars Mikkelsen. Lars Mikkelsen is one of the elders and most important characters in the first two seasons of The Witcher. So that will be cool, um, among other actors. Um, that's Grand Admiral Thrawn, you guys, for you people out there, and the brother of Mads Mikkelsen, who plays Galen or so, and Hannibal, and other things. Um, but uh, that would be an, another amazing choice. But because I know the books are great, and they're only doing eight episodes a season, and they're, they're drawing straight from the books, and music is a huge part. They're writing original songs for the bard Dandelion, who's a major character and a brilliant s- singer. They found a guy who's who's not only a five-star Shakespearean actor from England, but plays the lute, the harp, and like a thousand other instruments. And they're doing like live, you know, uh, medieval mu- musical performances, like in the book and so forth. I mean, there's going to be so much people are going to like about this show. And with only eight episodes a season, but because it's serialized and coming from books that are already amazing and are serialized, they've basically committed to five seasons already because it's a five-book series and it just works great. And they've learned from Game of Thrones, which did too many episodes and too many seasons. And Witcher is like, look, we've got five books and we don't want to do 13 to 20 episodes a season. We're going to do eight episodes a season. 
every year for five years and do the five amazing books from the Siri saga, the Siri pentology, and the Witcher. They got it completely on lockdown. That series is going to be amazing, and there are so many Star Wars connections, specifically the main young girl, Siri, who the series ends up being about, Cirilla, a.k.a. Siri, who is essentially a, a, a more complicated Ray. She's only more complicated than Ray because it, with books, you just have way more time. But she's way too powerful, way too young. She's even way less trained and more out of control than Ray. But she has that instinctual goodness of wanting to help people. And anytime she's flirting with you know her power getting out of control or doing the wrong thing. She has this instinctive goodness, and everyone around her, who aren't always the best people, are drawn to her and want to help her in, in what she's doing to help people. A very sort of Ray-esque character is going to be great. And that's the difference with Game of Thrones, with The Witcher, is the there's way fewer characters in The Witcher, and they're mostly good guys, even if they're complicated and they don't always make the right decisions. Like in The Last Jedi, it's sort of like the Last Jedi portrayal of characters, I would say. Characters that we love, who deep down are good, who have good intentions and want to do good but life gets in the way and you know and, and evil gets in the way and so forth but we can root for them unlike game of thrones which i call the subgenre of fantasy that's called rape and torture um which is mostly what it was about with way too many characters i'll send you pictures of her so anya chalotra would be another choice of mine for afra but back to the important thing they must do afra it's pure gold they have the character they have the look they have the material there's so many any stories in Afra, I mean, you know, they could take any, don't you think they could take any four, five, six um, comic book episode arc and just make that into a series, you know, like so much happens in, in, in such, the, I mean, let's be honest, the romance and let's, how great would it be to stick it to the, to the fascists and the Trumpers to have an Asian lead in a lesbian relationship <laughs> with an imperial uh, agent, right? How that would be amazing. I, I would love to see that, and I have to think Kathleen Kennedy is trying to devise this plan. Yeah, I, I think that would be great to see. I just don't see them adapting a story already told. Uh, but you, oh, you, but you don't think the 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 romance in general could could be adapted and would be interesting? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just don't see them doing a show that is a adaptation. I just see the story being told before, uh, after, or it could be told in between. I mean, these comics with the Marvel comics, they they leap and bound, so they could probably do a story told within the context of the comics, telling that story. But it, it's also very conforming, I guess, because you're also trying to weave around a narrative I told. told. I mean, it, 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 it is until it isn't, but right now they are not doing any adaptations of that way. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so big picture. I'm going to Florida in a couple days and get back to 17th. I have tickets the 19th, the 20th, the 21st, and I think the 22nd. I don't know if I'm going to go all four. I'm going to go 19th, 20th, 21st to Rise of Skywalker with various people. The Witcher comes out on the 20th, which is not a coincidence. They know Star Wars is coming out, but the Netflix binging experience is much different. And let's be honest, in the holidays, people have time to see movies and binge shows. So who cares? Because you can watch the Netflix shows at any time. So... I'm going to see Star Wars on the 19th. 
I'm going to binge as much of The Witcher as I can on the 20th during the day, see Rise of Skywalker the night of 20th, watch whatever I haven't watched The Witcher on the 21st, see Rise of Skywalker again on the 21st. I already have a scheduled Witcher podcast on the 22nd or 23rd. Then it's Christmas. And then I hope to have you, Simi, and other people on between uh, the period right before Christmas and right after New Year's to talk about The Rise of Skywalker. And then the fucking Clone Wars are coming on. So what should I be worried about? Because literally the period from the 19th of December until through February and then beyond with what rewatches in podcasts, I'm so excited about it. So I just am not sweating the small stuff, as they say, JGG, with The Mandalorian. Would I... Like, would I be happy if I liked it better? Yes. And, you know, as I told you, I'm feeling a little bit like you describe your experience with the prequels. The difference is I'm not engaging with people on it. It's just the feeling of alienation and lack of understanding. I don't understand why there's not more people who don't see massive flaws in what's going on. Now, talking with you, who gives it a decent rating but sees the massive flaws... It makes me think that maybe other people are starting to see it. I know after episode four and especially, oh, let's talk about this. Is episode five the breaking point where it seems like for the first time people are saying there might be problems with the show in terms of acting, directing, and writing? I think the I think it really started with episode four. It started with four. Yeah, but okay, so you you think four is the breaking the the well, uh, well, catalyst well, point. Well, well, here's a couple of things. Number one, I Yo. think the show. I think the show is something that some people think it is not. If that makes any sense, I think people thought the show was going to be one thing, but the show is not that one thing. Yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to say earlier. I totally agree with that. Yeah, that that they totally understand that that's not what it is. And I also think that you have a group of people who are blinded by nostalgia, and it's being appealing to them because it embraces what is the original trilogy and you also have a group of people who are just getting bored uh like i love baby yoda but there are some people who are already tired of him and just just because it's been five they have no soul and no heart (laughs) yeah i'm just saying that some people and you also have the other people who are looking at the narrative and being like okay these past couple episodes it hasn't. It, it moved, but hasn't really moved. If that makes any sense, especially this episode. This episode felt a lot more like a filler than episode four. People were complaining that episode four felt like a filler. This one felt like a filler to me. Um, and then you got the people who are saying, "Okay, it's like okay, we appreciate you in trying to incorporate all the nods to the original trilogy, but going to Tatooine, going to the exact same cantina, going." doing the same shots, okay, that's a little bit too much here. It's like, you, you need to stand out and do your own thing. It's just, I think people are starting to to split off because you have more of the content and you have more time with it mm-hmm. and you're, you're not immediately blind. It's like it's like seeing a movie for the first time. If you see a movie the first time, your opinion is probably going to be different, either better or worse than if you see a movie for the tenth time or if you see a movie again like a year later, like Rogue One. Like your opinion on Rogue One right now is just different than it was during your first viewing. No, it that wasn't. Makes sense. No, I, Check the tape. I gave it an A plus after my first viewing, but that was an exception. That was an I will admit that was an exception. That was a movie I immediately loved and connected with. That does not usually happen with me. But you get my point. 
No, 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 I get your point. I, this wasn't to you. This was to the audience, which was to clarify that of all of the Star Wars and other movies, uh, other than maybe like the Avengers, uh, or Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Rogue One, I immediately did three podcasts in the first three days talking about how it was an A-plus out of the theater, and I thought would be appreciated down the road. And honestly, Jenna Geek Girl, we talked about in our Rogue One podcast about how you thought on rewatch that it was very kind of prescient and prophetic about the political situation. And I agree with that. I, I just, there was just something about the movie that wasn't just me in love with Felicity Jones, to be clear. Uh, there was something about the movie I just connected with from a filmmaking perspective immediately. Like Force Awakens, I liked more over time. Last Jedi, I liked slightly less over time, but I still like. Solo, I'm still not sure what to do with. Uh, you know, the prequels are always changing. So, you know, usually there is some change. Rogue One was the one that was, I just, I knew. And it was like the one. It was like, I haven't met that girl yet, but in terms of movies, it was like meeting the girl. And like, I'm in love. This is it. This is the one. Yeah, I'm just saying that perceptions and then why the things sit with you, mm-hmm. you know, change and they evolve, they deepen mm-hmm. or they get more shadow over time. That's just how things are and stuff like that. But that's basically what I was trying to say. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you, which was you, you briefly talked about, you know, people who don't like the new saga movies. The problem is you cannot like Solo, you cannot like the Mandal. you can... You can be someone who doesn't like the Solo. You can be someone who doesn't like The Mandalorian. You can be someone who doesn't like the animated series. You can even be someone who doesn't like Rogue One. If you don't like at all or can't find things to like and appreciate in the saga Skywalker movies, that is a fatal flaw as a Star Wars fan, especially with the brilliant direction of Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams because that's what Star Wars is all about. And what I was going to say was... You know, you can criticize the new movies for the First Order being stormtroopers, and they still use TIE fighters and X-Wings, and they're a little fast and loose with the Force powers and the lights. You know, you can... All this nerdy stuff you can criticize, but as I, I said before... There's not a moment in Force Awakens and Last Jedi where I'm taken out of it in the sense of feeling like it's not Star Wars. And, um, and I, I, you know... <laughs> I'm wondering where they're going to go next. You know, we, we talked about Jedi Fallen Order about, you know, the Ryan Johnson movies and, and where that could go. Um, and I, I was listening back to that podcast um, where we were debating about, um, I, I was saying that I thought they were having trouble figuring out how to do movies that didn't take place between one and nine, essentially. And you said that wasn't a good excuse. And then I agreed with you, but I was just saying, I thought they were having trouble figuring out how to do it. I still think Ryan Johnson is the guy to do it and it'll be fine. Uh, but it is a challenge. But the point is, I know Ryan Johnson can make a Star Wars movie that feels like Star Wars, right? And so that's the important thing, again, with the directors. Um, and that's why I want them to bring Joss Whedon on board because I know Joss Whedon will know how to make a Star Wars movie. And this is perplexing about John Favreau, but especially Taika Waititi, who I assumed would know how to make Star Wars. And it doesn't seem to be the case. Um, and I, I, I hope that changes. Uh, but again, between, between all of the Star Wars properties you mentioned and The Witcher and other things, I, I'm okay with this. Do you agree with my general theory, though, that it's, it's a good, it's, 
I mean, you want to like in, in, and uh, indulge in and digest and watch everything. But in general, do you agree with the theory that we want to get to a place where maybe we don't love everything in Star Wars or have time for everything in Star Wars because people love Star Wars now and they're making so much? Does that make sense? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think I definitely made that point. Okay, so a couple quick questions and we'll do final thoughts. What is the way for if you are um God, I wish you were John Favreau and in charge. Um if you're John Favreau slash Dave Filoni or whoever, what would you do for these these final episodes to turn things around in the Mandalorian? It could be story wise I don't want to hear about Baby Yoda because, first of all, if you don't like Baby Yoda, you don't have a heart. But again, I stick with my theory that people who think they love the series but are constantly posting just about Baby Yoda, it's glaring and I think is an excuse in their own heads. I don't want to. I tend to psychoanalyze people when I shouldn't, but I, I honestly think that's the. It, it's like the Porgs with the Last Jedi. People focused way too much on the Porgs ahead of the Last Jedi because people started getting nervous about Last Jedi, and then so they wanted to focus. Look, I. I'm all about the cuteness, right? I love Ewoks. I love Porgs. I love Baby Yoda. I love all of it. But I do think, you know, people loving the cuteness and then buying toys and stuff is distracting from what they really should be caring about, which is great television and great film. So I think Baby Yoda is um, uh, what they call a bait and switch (laughs) uh, in terms of of creativity. That's another topic. What would you do going forward... I don't know how much you know about what's coming in The Mandalorian. Let's assume you know nothing, but you have ideas. What would you do in The Mandalorian if, for the, you know, the back half of this series to turn things, in my mind, turn things around? In your mind, maybe just you know get better. I have no idea. Besides the exception of uh, like connective, connective tissue to other things, if I would do things or try to guide the story it would more about be in season two i think they're already set on a path in season one they need to finish it out uh, so I, I i'm not able to answer that question now if you do face the question about season two i think you would focus more on the Mandalorian culture and you go that's into the, the larger picture that's the but answer I, Make it about the Mandalorians and not the Mandalorian. But I don't think they're going to do that. And that's what's really upsetting me. I agree 100%. I don't think they can do that in the last three episodes. To to me, that is a whole focus of a season, not in the last three episodes. To me, it would be a disservice just to do it in the last three episodes instead of of it being the focus on the story. They need to finish the Baby Yoda storyline in order to shift the focus to that. Otherwise, it just seems to me as being like too much. So, yeah, I agree with you, but I think that has to be season two instead of the last three episodes. What is the Baby Yoda storyline? He uses force powers briefly, and he's cute, and then the Mandalorian wants to save him. I'm not seeing the storyline. I thought, again, after episode three, Deborah Chow, God bless you, I thought we were getting a Baby Yoda storyline, and that's what this was going to be about. But the last few episodes, that has not been the case. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. I think these last two episodes have been more about the Mandalorian, but you, they, they have to tie that thread. You know what I'm saying? Like, why does the Emperor want, want him? What do they plan on doing with him? Is he tied to the future of the First Order? How are they going to 
and the pursuit of the bounty hunters and the imperials of Baby Yoda. They need to tie up that thread. In order to tie tie up that thread, they need to eliminate the bounty. Otherwise, you have the whole show in future season about people chasing Baby Yoda. And that just doesn't make... That just would be boring in season two. So they need to tie up that thread. And I see them going... I see the Mandalorian basically freeing baby yoda by eliminating the bounty on baby yoda so baby yoda can live his life free mm-hmm. and that way the Mandalorian can focus on himself and his culture because i think season one is about the Mandalorian coming into his own and through baby yoda and then at the end of the season one you're going to have baby yoda free of that and during episode two you're going to have him uh, season two you're going to have him to deal with that because he betrayed the bounty hunter's guild there's no going back to him not only that but his culture had to move to a different location so i see episode two exploring that more about what 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 now and uh, now that he's done with Baby Yoda, and now that he it is free from, you know, from the med- So, what you are suggesting, I think that is the focus of season two, not so much this season for better or for worse, if that makes any sense. My, my feeling is, if they were going to do the smart thing, go to Mandalore, bring in Bo-Katan, being some combination, whatever that they would at least be hinting it in season one. And so either they're not planning on it and don't think it's a priority, which is stupid, um, or they would do a course correction, uh, which is fine. Um, But here's my thing. I know I said I'm thrilled that people like the show, um, but part of me, Jiggy Girl, I'm going to be brutally honest, and you can shoot me down. I kind of wish people did not like the show and they canceled it after the season because it would send a message to Disney that this level of filmmaking in fast and loose uh, use of the Star Wars property is unacceptable. I, I, I yeah, I, 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 I disagree. Yeah. I know, that's just it's totally my opinion. I, 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 you know, I, but... Hello? and I think hurt a little bit of I'm here okay no I just heard it I'm here hello yep go ahead yeah I think like like Solo's performance it didn't do well for better or for worse it changed how Star Wars films are going to be theatrically released in the future and if the Mandalorian was a failure, it could have had the same effect. With it being a success, it allows them to push forward a little bit more and not be so worried about if it's a success or failure uh, in the future because you had this launch. I think Mandalorian had to be successful. Whether or not mm. it's good or bad, I think it had to be successful. Yeah, the problem is the post-market sales and watching of Solo has been excellent. Uh, so even there, I don't know if they're going to learn the right lesson um, because they've made their money back, Jedi Geek Girl, supposedly with Solo, which no one thought, including them, was going to happen. And that yeah, was sort but of my seemed, point here. Yeah, but it seems like the reaction to Solo was more knee-jerk. Then logical, if that makes any sense. Mm. 
for for better for worse, I'm I'm just saying that you know that this happens. It's just human nature. Human nature sometimes just more knee jerk instead of more logical and retrospective. If that makes any sense, that that's just all I'm saying. So, okay. Uh, one question for you, talking about something I said, the Bizzle in general about Star Wars, and then I'm gonna ask you about Rise of Skywalker, and we'll and we'll wrap up. Uh, the question about the Bizzle is. When I say I love Star Wars, but if I start not liking it, I will jump ship. Does that make you uncomfortable? No, not really. Okay. No, not really. Because it's never permanent, right? If it starts being good and I start liking it again, I'm back on board. But I don't watch enough film, and especially television, you know, and while I do love Lauren Cannon sort of philosophically and intellectually, it, that's not enough to keep me with, with things. Um, and so while I super respect, you know, your journey to read all the books, including Legends, that's just not me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, it, the, the, the different sorts of hardcore fans. You know, we talk about the different sorts of sort of casual fans or old school fans, but there are different sorts of uh, hardcore fans too, right? Um, that would be an interesting topic. Okay, Rise of Skywalker, we talked about a couple weeks ago, Fallen Order. Uh, where are you at right now with, with uh, Tross? I really do not want to get into it because that's a topic for uh, the whole episode. Therapy! Uh, <coughs> <laughs> Come on, I'm your therapist. Talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me no, how you're I'm, feeling. I'm, what is your feeling? No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm I, I'm full. I just want the film. That's all. Yeah, I agree with you. I love the TV spots. I think it's it, it's been a great mix of Kylo Ray, of Ray Finn Poe. Um, I'm not going to disagree with you. A glaring lack of of Kelly Marie. I, I don't know what to make of that. It it, it seems cowardly to me. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, I, like I, I have anxiety about the film. I just want it. Mm-hmm. I just want it here. I will say, I love... I, I knew this would happen. I predicted this would happen at Celebration, but it took a little bit longer. I love, love, love how loose and relaxed Daisy Ridley is finally... Because she has had the world on her shoulders, but unlike Adam Driver, who was already an experienced actor and much older, relatively, you know, this is Daisy Ridley's first real gig, and she still hasn't done that much. I'm a little concerned about her career afterwards, not because she's not a great actress, but because she doesn't have <clears throat> doesn't have the wide ranging experience of Adam Driver. But hopefully, she has a great career. I love she's doing all the public appearances, she's doing the videos, you know, going through the film and talking about stuff, and she's smiling, and she's relaxing, she's wearing overalls. This is the Daisy Ridley I knew existed, and, you know, again, as an actor-actresses guy, I want my actors and actresses to enjoy what they're doing and to be relaxed, because I, I, I want them to enjoy it in itself, but it also shows confidence, and my biggest... Um, other than JJ being great and the cast being great, the, the biggest proof I have that this movie is going to be amazing is how relaxed and just, you know, 
uh, uh, funny and personable and relaxed in public the entire cast is being in general now that the final movie's done, right? They can they can take a breath. They're not having to hide stuff all the time. I, I just love to see that in terms of the actors and the actresses. I know you mostly like to focus on the movies, and that's great, but I think you can agree. It's nice to see actors and actresses super... Rel- I mean, Boyega is always that guy, but it's nice to see the rest of the cast like that. Even Adam Driver seems relaxed. I mean, we just have to wait and see. I just have to accept the possibility that this, I might not like this film, but I have to see it to draw if it. You, so. If you could take a non-dangerous pill that would make you sleep until December 19th, would you take it? <laughs> I have so much to do between now and then. That's I have what I'm a saying. job. In this, no, but this pill would, would, would cover your rent. It would. The pill would take care of everything else. You would literally sleep, and you'd wake up. Your bank account would be normal. Everything would be normal, but you would just sleep for 16 days. Would you do it? No, because I can use that time to watch other stuff and okay. be more productive, and I have my cat to take, take, take care of and stuff like that. We'll it's give just, the pill to the cat, I, too. <laughs> I, I'm just trying... And I'm just trying to, and you have the logistical questions of how that would all work. But anyway, well, oh, it's a lore question about cats. <laughs> but anyway, what what I'm saying is, yes. I'm I'm trying to distance myself yep. to try to go in a little bit more fresher because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be disappointed, but I also mm-hmm. don't want to be like I know everything going in. the analogy I use is, and, and you know this, but our listeners do not is. You're at a meal, it's a delicious meal, and you're eating from it, but it's so good, but you're starting to get full, but you're not uncomfortable yet. But I'm at the point where I'm putting food in my mouth, and I'm uncomfortable, but it's so good, and I want to finish everything, but I also need to get to my dessert. And if I'm full before I go into my dessert, I'm not going to enjoy my dessert enough, but if I stop eating and just like look at the food and wait for my dessert i will enjoy the dessert more and obviously my analogy is food related so i want to enjoy the dessert but i don't want to do it with a full upset stomach and that is why i am right now with rise of skywalker so i'm trying to like i'm sitting back and i'm looking at the food at my plate and i'm just playing with my fork and maybe putting like a pee in my mouth here and there but I'm not sitting there and I'm not trying to stuff my mouth full because I know that that dessert is coming and I know it's going to be a new experience and the way it looks it looks like it's going to be something I will enjoy but I won't know until I see it till I put it in my mouth so yeah, I feel like Han Solo across from Greedo in episode four right now. I wish I could give you some of my confidence. I feel totally swagged up. I, I feel a thousand percent confident. It's going to be amazing and everyone's going to love it. And I wish I could uh, remove some of yours and other people's anxiety about it, but I get it. This is how Simi gets whenever Ahsoka comes up in any form. He, he dares not believe any more Ahsoka in anything. When I bring up my Ahsoka theories, he gets very <laughs> anxious because he dares not believe. He was like this before Solo, too. He likes Solo way more than me and you. But that's just because Solo is his favorite character. He grew up, you know, that was his character growing up with Solo. Um, but he dared not believe that it would even be a good movie beforehand. And I kept telling him he was going to love it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be condescending. But I, I'm just I- removed enough at this point. But also confident. In, it's Look, we've an all-time great 
director, period, let alone science fiction director, in an all-time great cast that already has great chemistry and all-time great story in the Skywalker saga. I can't imagine a scenario, as I said before Force Awakens, when people weren't sure, I said there's no way this movie is not going to be at least very good and very entertaining. And that's where I'm at right now. Well, like I said, I just have to accept the possibility. I'm not saying I won't, just because obviously I have not seen it. I just have to accept the possibility that it might not be something I enjoy. Dare to I'm dream, Jedi Geek Carl. Dare to dream. I just don't want to go in with a, a sense of certainty when I don't know. I'm just saying that I'm just trying to keep a wider view uh, of the situation and not be one way or another. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm going to love this film or oh, I'm going to hate this film. I just want to be yeah. cautious. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to invest yeah. too much in his mindset or the, the story just because it's the end of the saga. There's things about the film that we do not know. And just because we have seen all this advertisement about things of the film doesn't mean that you know, A, that's the story or the track, the beats that we see, those mm-hmm. are going to be the specific beats in the film. We won't know until we get it in context and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be cautious, you know, j- just in case, because if you go in with a high expectation, like I'm going to love this film and you don't love this film or vice versa, well, vice versa is irrelevant. It, that that's crushing, and I think that's one of the problems that fans, we as fans, have. And fans had that, like with the prequel trilogy, they had that with the, the Last Jedi, and and other stuff like that. I'm just trying to step back and trying to be a little bit more holistic about the situation. So what you're saying is, I should not ask you about Adam Driver's recent comments about redemption in the movie. <laughs> exactly. Um. No, I think the diff- everyone deals with anxiety differently. This is like me with Rogue One, is that I was super confident until I sat in the seat. And then for the first 15 minutes of Rogue One, I'm going, oh shit, what if I'm totally wrong? So, you know, for better or worse, healthy or not, my way is to just act cocky and not, feel cocky and confident until the last moment and then the anxiety washes over me but i don't have it about this i don't i've seen too many great movies with this cast and jj abrams i i just I, uh, but again my my desire my needs from this movie are way less than yours Let, let's be it, perfectly honest it, it's kind of like asking somebody out and being so confident and then you're in the car waiting for them and you're like oh crap you know Right, right, right. But what I'm saying is, if The Witcher sucks, I'm going to be traumatized. Um, and, and like, but but I, there's way more uncertain factors w- with that series. Whereas I just I know these actors, I know the director. Um, but I'm also the guy who is cool with Raylo or not. I'm cool with Ben Demption or not. I'm cool with basically anything because, again, I'm a film person even more than a Star Wars person. I want a great film with a great acting, great special effects, great writing and acting, blah, 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 blah. And I know we're going to get all of those things. And I don't care about the lore. Uh, and Like, let's put it this way. I'm not invested in specific lore the way you are, right? That's what makes us great, is, is we have different things that we love about Star Wars and that we care about. And the specific lore and my specific desires in terms of relationships, I don't really care. My concern about Rose is the optics of the situation, not because I care that we get a lot of Rose or not. I honestly don't care. I think Kelly Marie Tran's a brilliant actress. I don't care if we get a lot of her or not. If on 
a fair playing field. But given the history, that's the one thing that's that's concerning me is Kathleen Kennedy has shown almost across the board to say fuck you to the haters. I'm not sure why she's not saying fuck you to the haters with with Kelly Marie. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm just yeah. No, okay. So we're gonna see about the Mandalorian. Um, uh, so how many episodes left are there? Three. Three episodes. So, I'm gonna be. Well, I'll I'll probably. I guess I'm in a uh, either in a hotel or my grandma's place. In both cases, there's Wi-Fi, so I should be able to watch on Friday. Um, it's not a priority, honestly. At this point, I I because of how busy things are with the movies, The Witcher, and my trip, and the fact that I like to watch shows back to back to back. Sometimes I might. Well, the problem is because of Twitter, you guys, not you, but everyone else <laughs> ruins everything. If I even open Twitter for three seconds, uh, I was going to say I would like to wait and just watch the last three episodes together. But the fact that it's unserialized, which is one of my many complaints, I, I don't even know at this point. I'm going to watch it. I will. But I will say, Jedi Geek Girl, if I don't like how this goes, and I don't like how it ends, I'm unsatisfied and still don't like the series at the end i feel zero obligation to watch season two um when are they even planning on season two like a year and a half they are already filming it i would expect it to be out see this is no 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 see i'm thinking about this in my head about where they are in the process of it and it's it's realistic i'm not saying it will happen but it is realistic that we could get season two of the Mandalorian before Cassian, just because they are so far along in Mandalorian season two. I don't even know if they started shoot they started shooting Cassian and Nando. I think they did, and I'm pretty sure if I had to put money on it, we'll get Cassian before season two of Mandal- Mandalorian, but not uh, not after Kenobi. I think it, I think it will be the Clone Wars. Then Cassian, then Mandalorian season two, then Kenobi. Look, if people grow increasingly dissatisfied with Mandalorian, then it will be a huge mistake to release season two before Cassian. But even if people are okay with the rest of Mandalorian, I still think it's a mistake because, you know, I was under the assumption that the Mandalorian was going to be the quote unquote grown up Star Wars show on Disney Plus, but the way it's shaking out, uh, it, Cassian's really going to be the first grown-up show. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah, he's he's an assassin. He's going to be murdering people, like really killing. He's a you know, we, and we know we like Cassian. And he turns good and, and follows Jin and you know and whatever. But it, this is going to be a very dark period for Cassian and K two in the rebellion. Oh, I one hundred percent agree on that. Yeah. Absolutely, and 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 not only that, but the Marvel shows are not on Disney Plus yet. And there's a lot of crossover between Marvel fans and Star Wars fans. So maybe you're not really into the Mandalorian or maybe the Mandalorian's not hitting your spot. But that's the only big feature, at least for storytelling fiction mm-hmm. on Disney, new of that mm-hmm. on Disney Plus right now, where once you interject the Marvel content, you're going to have alternation and maybe some crossover. It will, I don't want to say dilute it, but your, your investment will not be all in on the show because your attention will be a little bit more mm-hmm. divided and less space than it is right now. It's the same thing with Star Wars theatrically. Like, Star Wars right now is a lot more 
not necessarily splinted, but there's a lot more going on right now. So you don't have to be as invested as one thing. Um, one thing like in 2015, 2016, you had the uh, the films and you had the Rebels TV show. Now you have the Mandalorian. You have Rise of Skywalker. You have Jedi Fallen Order. You have Resistance, and not to mention the books and comics all going on. You have all these different things going on. And I think once you introduce the Marvel shows on Disney Plus, you'll have somewhat of the same effect, at least for the fans who are fans of both. Okay, I'm gonna give my final thought. I'm gonna give you final thought. Uh, my final thought is gonna be back padding, which is Elizabeth Olsen, which is I have heard from insiders since the day they announced that Kevin Feige and the people at the head of Marvel are the most excited about WandaVision. And I continue to hear that. And the fact that that's leading directly into her with Doctor Strange and she's going to go crazy and become the Scarlet Witch we know. And she's going to be the one to kill the X-Men but then reboot the X-Men. And we know how brilliant uh, Elizabeth Olsen is. I knew she was going to be big going forward. I could not have imagined it. But the premise for WandaVision, which is what I think I thought it was, which is that she creates a mental construct to rebuild vision in her brain, have a relationship they'd never had. They're actually doing it and setting it in like a creepy 50s sitcom thing is so brilliant. I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be Jessica Jones, but this is one of the boldest things they've ever done. Um, and so I am so pumped for WandaVision and Scarlet Witch. And while I love Black Widow, I can't really say anything else about Marvel that I'm that excited about. I'm pumped about Black Widow, and then that story will be done. I'm thrilled about Scarlet uh, Witch and anything that Elizabeth Olsen's done. <coughs> but you brought up, <coughs> excuse me, you brought up Marvel. And so I'm trying to get excited about it, but I just don't care at this point. Yeah, well, it's still a year away, so, well, nine months away. Is there anything in particular, movie or, I mean, I know Captain Marvel 2, whatever, me, Black Panther 2, blah, 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 but of the new properties or or the, you know, first-time properties on TV or or, um, or movies that you're particularly excited about coming up in Marvel? Well, I mean, I'm excited for it all. I mean, obviously, I'm excited for WandaVision. I'm excited for the Doctor Strange movie, Thor 4. I'm really excited for it all. Oh, Thor 4, good call. I I think uh, one of the projects that I'm most excited for is Miss Marvel. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, To me, she is not really the reincarnation or the reaper, but she encapsulates a lot of what makes Peter Parker and Spider-Man so iconic. I think she... I know who they're going to so, cast for that. I think she is so interesting. I think she is... I'm really looking forward to it. I think that's one of the things I'm looking for. I'm, I'm, like, I'm excited for it all. I'm excited for Moon Knight. I'm excited for She-Hulk, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, the Hawkeye show... I'm 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 just I'm just I'm just I'm looking forward to it all. So when you ask me what specific project I'm Great. looking forward to, Great. I can't. So the casting for uh, Kamala Khan on paper is even more obvious than Elodie Young or Chloe Bennett, which is Naomi Scott. Mm. She's already a Disney princess. People like her a lot. She's beautiful, and- but she's accessible. She's Muslim, but she's relatable. Uh, 
uh, you know, in terms of a Disney princess who's Muslim but accessible in the Disney family, it's only Naomi Scott that I'm aware of, uh, which doesn't mean they won't bring in someone else. Um, I did not see Aladdin. Um, I heard she was pretty good as Jasmine. Uh, but you know, that, that would be the obvious casting would be Naomi Scott as for me as Kamala Khan. I'm open. To yeah. Anything. Yeah. And she's a power ranger too. I know. And she was, I think considered the highlight for, for some people. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find out what season she was a power ranger. That was, no, she was in the time. movie. She was the pink power ranger in the movie. Oh, in the movie. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. She was pink yeah, power so- ranger. Yeah, even I know that. Ah, <laughs> well, just just because of, you you know how many different actors and actresses play Power Rangers. I know you just keep bringing up Power Rangers, which I think is hilarious. Well, Power Rangers was my first geek love. No, I, I even get wrestling. I, I get wrestling because I know so many nerds with wrestling, but Power Rangers just took me by surprise. It's great. Well, well, like I said, that that was my first really first geek thing that I was in and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It just shows the difference of our age, ages because weren't you already a, or starting to become a teenager when the first show aired on? I was nowhere near. Yeah, teenager. I was like, how did this get on television? Because I was like 14 at that point. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it shows, just shows the differences of our ages. And but I it's like Pokemon and Dragon Ball. It's the same thing. Pokemon and Dragon Ball both got big when I was already like a teenager. Yeah, well, but I'm just saying, I just, I just try to use it as an analogy mm-hmm. because I, I, I see a lot of symbolism uh, and similarities when it comes to the difference and stuff like that. It's just, just because it's been around for so long, mm-hmm. where maybe you don't have with other franchises or stuff like that, so... Okay, well, this was great, and I think this was a seminal episode, Jedi Geek Girl, because this was the first major reversal in expectation to reception between the two of us I think we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Which is good, which is fine. You know, it's it's important to have these conversations and to have diversity of opinion, as you pointed out. Exactly. Any and final thoughts? killing each other, too. Any final thoughts, Biblical listener? Oh, have you been tempted to uh, play more Jedi Fallen Order? I just haven't had the time. Yeah, I mean, right, right now I've, I've been addicted to Disney Plus. Right now I'm working my way to the Runaway shows. I'm trying to watch the 90s X Men show. And like I said, there's other things on Disney Plus I'm watching, not to mention I have my podcast to focus on. I, I'm just looking I remember the X-Men theme right in my brain. <laughs> I'm just looking for the opportunity to sit down. I mean, I want to sit down and spend a day playing A Link to the Past, my favorite Legend oh, yes. Zelda game. So, yeah. And now we've so got I'm Link's Awakening, to- too, which is supposedly great. Yeah, I need to get a Nintendo Switch for that. You know, I... I, I, I I would love a Nintendo Switch for my birthday, uh, or my, my birthday or Christmas, but you know we have celebration coming up next mm. year, and I'd rather put all the money towards that because sure. I want to meet these actors and actresses yeah. that would will make you jealous, and hopefully maybe things will change and you can get a last minute ticket and stuff like that. If you get me a date with Tia Sarkar, I will sell the the the, the farm. Well, and, and like we we <laughs> talked about. Uh, before that just because you go to celebration doesn't mean you have to spend every day there and disney you know galaxy's edge you know i'm trying to go a day early so i can go to galaxy's edge so that takes money and stuff like that it's just 
Yeah. No, it's it's okay. I mean, eventually Teal will realize that we're meant for each other, right? And then it'll all work out like a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a very exciting time to be a geek and I'm really looking forward to next year, so. Oh, man. She's my dream girl. She is. She's actually my dream girl. It was it was a thrill. Um, I, I would love to go back. That's another conversation. So awesome, Jiggy girl. Thank you so much for everything, as always. And uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I would thank you no matter what your opinion is. But I, I do want to give a special shout out for the fact that you were convinced you would not like the show, and you ended up kind of liking it. Um, I think is uh, is great because fans of, of any property that people are obsessed with, normally people are not sort of self-aware or confident enough to have a change of heart, right? I mean, you know, it's like Cassian in Rogue One. Like, Cassian had to have a massive change of heart, you know? It's, that's, that's a, it's a tough thing to do, and uh, I'm impressed, even though I don't like the show. <laughs> yeah, well, we can thank Baby Yoda for that. Yep. And... As soon as we end this, they just dropped a new behind-the-scenes featurette Ooh. for Rise of Skywalker, so I need to watch that. So, Well, you go watch that and report to me, and I'm going to RadaniAndIntelligence.com and see all the updated Witcher photos and videos, because right now Henry Cavill and the cast are literally traveling around South America and the world doing interviews, and I'm eating it all up. Will do. Alright, thank you, Jedi Geek Girl. Oh, drop, uh, drop your stuff. You can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. You can find my podcast, I Rebel, a Star Wars Destiny podcast, any on any podcast feature. You can find I Rebel Destiny everywhere at I Rebel Destiny, including Facebook, Twitter, and our website at iRebelDestiny.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Thank you, BizzleCast listeners. Tons more uh, coverage. Uh, I, I'm not going to say there's going to be a lot more Mandalorian coverage, but there will definitely be pre and post coverage extensive of Rise of Skywalker. And of course, the Witcher cover coverage will continue. Uh, as of this recording, guys, I am working on a massive solo, uh, 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 um, like the one I've been building up to with the Witcher. Uh, I've already recorded the intro. It's going to actually have a lot to do with this sort of legacy of Game of Thrones and why I think the thing people like about Game of Thrones are going to be done as well or better in The Witcher and the things people don't like about Game of Thrones are going to be done well or just done period uh, in The Witcher as well as the books being brilliant um, but I know Game of Thrones is, is you know the, the touch point for a lot of people with fantasy um, and so that'll be a part of it so look forward to the massive uh, Bizzle uh, Witcher preview as well I'm excited for that I'm excited for Rise of Skywalker my sister's birthday is on December 20th my head's gonna the Hanukkah is on December 22nd my head's gonna explode Jedi Geek Girl that weekend I don't know what I'm gonna do well try not to die too painfully <laughs> you're very villainous uh, t- tonight Jedi Geek Girl's had some great villain quotes off, off mic uh, 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 <laughs> You got a little Krennic. You're channeling a little Krennic. <laughs> well, I guess it just shows that I'm getting into the mindset for those films because, you know, I'm rewatching all of them and it's been a while and I'm getting excited to revisit them and hopefully that will distract a little bit of my anxiety away from Rise of Skywalker. But farming? Really? Galen? <laughs> farming? 
<laughs> All right, JGG. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. May the force be with you. Got more content coming soon, but for now, the Bizzlecast is out. Yum, yum. Oh, hey. Eat up, yum, yum.